Oh gosh, quit yawning. <laughs> Alright, we're back. Okay, so. Um, I remember last episode we were talking about dark westerns, especially when we were talking about Dark Tower. That was a couple of episodes. Or a couple of episodes. That was the yes. Alex. Oh! What? Um, the, mentioning Alex reminded me, uh, I've been doing research on blues artists. Oh. Because, uh, so, Luke and I have continued to discuss, uh, our music takes off air. Because we plan to come back to it and bring Alex back. By the way, I introduced Florida Man to one of the guys I work with by Blue Oyster Cult. Nice. That's great. It's like, I didn't know they came out with more stuff. I was like, yeah, check it out, man. Yeah, they're still making stuff. It's insane. But, um, so we've been continuing talking about that. And I remember I was talking to Luke and said, I don't, I don't think... Like, the meme, the meme thing I say to make fun of um, Beatles fans is I like to joke that Beatles fans believe that the Beatles invented music. Yeah. And so I, and I remember I was talking to uh, Luke and said that I don't believe that there is any artist that is as influential as people claim that the Beatles are. Yes. No one is that influential. But I think that bands like Led Zeppelin and Prince and David Bowie, and you would argue Black... Not well, David Bowie, sorry, not David <laughs> Bowie. Jimi Hendrix, Prince... Led Zeppelin. But the thing is, I did come back and retort Elvis. Elvis. And so like, that that like he is the only one. So I agreed with you until I did some research. Okay. And I want to run this by you. Something that I uh, like I saw Muddy Waters, which I completely get. Well, you think you get it. I thought I got it. So Muddy Waters, I'm looking up. I'm looking up Elvis because I'm going to lead into something. There's a blues artist named Fats Domino who I'm going to look yeah, up in a Fats minute. Fats Domino, yeah. Um, and, oh, I looked up Manish Boy. I meant to look up Muddy Waters. M- Muddy Waters and Fats Domino are two of the um, most prominent blues musicians who ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let me see if I can find it. Uh, uh, Muddy Waters. Um, so here it is. A Muddy... McKinley Morganfield, this is Muddy Waters' Wikipedia page, known professionally as Muddy Waters, was an American blues singer and musician who was an important figure in the post-war, that means World War II, uh, blues scene, and is often cited as the father of modern Chicago blues. So, if you want a taste of Muddy Waters, I think his song Manish Boy is a phenomenal song. I consider that a masterpiece. It is so good. I would absolutely recommend anyone listening to this listen to it. Uh, Manish Boy by Muddy Waters. Here's where I realized, Luke, that I was radically, incredibly wrong when I said no one is as influential as they claim the Beatles are. Sure. And I realized that you were wrong. When saying Elvis. Yeah. We will get to Elvis in a minute. But I'm going to go down to, the, to a section here about Muddy Waters' influence. Sure. I'm not, and I'm going to read it word for word. The British band The Rolling Stones named, named themselves after Muddy Waters' 1950 song Rolling Stone. Jimi Hendrix recalled that he first heard the, heard Muddy Waters as a little boy and his music scared him to death. The band Cream covered Rollin' and Tumblin' on their 1966 debut album Fresh Cream. Eric Clapton was a big fan of Muddy Waters while growing up and his music influenced Cla- Clapton's music career. Rollin' and Tumblin' was also covered by Canned Heat at the Monterey Pop Festival and later adapted by Bob Dylan on his album Modern Times. One of Led Zeppelin's biggest hits, Whole Lot of Love, has its lyrics heavily influenced by the Muddy Waters hit You Need Love. 
Hoochie Coochie Man was covered by the Allman Brothers band Humble Pie, Steppenwolf, Super Tramp, and Fear. In 1993, Paul Rogers, Paul Rogers from is the lead singer from Bad, Bad Company. Com- yeah, Bad Company, released the album Muddy Waters Blues, a tribute to Muddy Waters, on which he covered a number of his songs, including Louisiana Blues and Rolling Stone. Okay, yeah, yeah, this is it. Because I saw the name Gary Moore in there. Yeah. Gary Moore, like, that is not a very well-known name. Unless you're a guitarist. Yeah. And the fact that they reference Gary Moore in there tells me a lot. Yeah. He's, um, and that, um, so Paul Rogers, the Bad Company dude, he made this album in collaboration with Gary Moore, Brian May of Queen, and Jeff Beck, who was just... Jeff Beck was amazing. Yeah, Jeff Beck. Angus Young of ACDC has cited Muddy Waters as one of his influence. The ACDC song title, You Shook Me All Night Long, came from lyrics of the Muddy Waters song, You Shook Me written by Willie Dixon and J.B. Lenoir. Uh, Earl Hooker first recorded it as an instrumental. That's fine. The ZZ Top guitarist Billy Gibbons went to visit uh, Muddy Waters' home, and he actually got wood off of Muddy Waters' home and turned it into a guitar that he named after Muddy Waters. So in that list, Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Cream, Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Almond Brothers, Humble Pie, Steppenwolf, Supertramp, Fear, Bad Company... Gary Moore, Brian May of Queen, Jeff Beck, ACDC, and ZZ Top, all heavily influenced by Muddy Waters. That's basically all of modern music. Yes. And so I realized, I've listened... Maybe we were wrong. Yeah, I listened to a, a podcast called Your Favorite Band Sucks. And they've done episodes for the Beatles and Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. And a common theme that they always come back to when talking about bands like that is how these bands that everyone think were super super influential and original were just ripping off blues artists and not giving them any credit. And this this is this is the proof of it. These are the receipts. And the, the only thing is, uh, they're a little bit harsh in saying that like Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin didn't acknowledge the people sure. who came before them. Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin did. The Beatles didn't for a while, from what I understand. The Beatles didn't. But they've... Period. Apparently, Paul McCartney has started acknowledging them now, that the Beatles are long done. But so, now we go over to Elvis... Wait, wait, go back, go back. I saw something. Oh, sorry. Muddy Waters songs have also been featured in longtime fan Martin Scorsese's movies, including The Color of Money, Goodfellas, and Casino... 1970s recording of his 50s hit Manish Boy was used in the film Goodfellas, Better Off Dead, Risky Business, and the rockumentary The Last Waltz. To to confirm, in the same section, following his death, fellow blues musician B.B. King, B. B. Yeah. King told Guitar World Magazine, Guitar World Magazine is where I got the article about Buckethead. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be years and years before most people realize how greatly he contributed to American music. Yeah, I should have I should have included that because that's also... Paul P. Uh, Hammond. John all, P. Hammond. Uh, John P. Hammond uh, also told Guitar World Magazine he was a master of just the right notes. It was profound guitar playing, deep and simple. More country blues transposed to the electric guitar. The kind of playing that enhanced your lyrics gave profundity. 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 Whatever the heck that word is. The quality of being profound. Okay. Gave profundity to the words themselves. So literally, like, muddy waters. He, like, he inspired basically every single band... 
that existed in the 60s. Yes. Including the Beatles. They just... <laughs> they, aren't, they aren't as ready to acknowledge it as no. other people are. But again, Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Cream... That, that long Led, list there. Yeah, Led Zeppelin. Well, I'm just going with those three. Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Cream, Led Zeppelin. If you include Jeff... I mean, Brian May, you've also got Queen in there. Five of the biggest artists of those decades... Well, the thing is... All this, like, him. The crazy thing is this... Three of those bands we mentioned in our video. Exactly. And, and I, we were like, these are the most influential. And we're like, but that's what, of the 60s is what we were saying. Yeah. But like literally most influential and is bigger than most people say they are. Or actually as big as people say they are. Yeah. Muddy Waters. And here's the thing. That's the answer. Well, he wasn't. Muddy Waters. Well, Muddy Waters was nowhere near as big as any of them. But he was every bit as influential as people think the Beatles were. Yes. Now, we go over to Fats Domino, and I found this out because I was looking up Elvis, because I agreed with your assessment that Elvis was probably as influential, <coughs> and he still is. Yes. He is influential, but what I looked up is um, something interesting I found out. I was looking up different stuff, and so I'm just going to read this. This is from a section on Elvis's Wikipedia page titled Relationship with the African American Community. Sure. Because Elvis Presley had a lot of ties to the African-American community. Obviously, he made his home. He was not born there, but he made his home in Memphis, mm-hmm. uh, where I grew up. So, there is that connection. <gasps> now they know where you live. <laughs> I grew up there. Yeah. I do not live there anymore. And, actually, uh, I, I have played a show at the B.B. King uh, restaurant. Oh. B.B. King's on Beale Street. I've played there before. Cool. It was part of a thing I was in growing up. We had a thing called School of Rock, where they would put kids and bands together and then book shows for them. And I got to play at B.B. King's on Beale Street. That's cool. Dude. Which I didn't realize how cool that was. Until, until now. Yeah, until now. <laughs> but so, now I'm going to read this off. This is, when Dewey Phillips first aired That's All Right on Memphis WHBQ, many listeners who contacted the station by phone and telegram to ask for it again assumed that its singer was black. This is referring to an Elvis song. Sure. Um, from the beginning of his national fame, Presley expressed respect for African-American performers and their music and disregard for the norms of segregation and racial prejudice then, pre- then prevalent in the South. Good on Elvis. He was pretty ahead of the curve. Yeah. In that sense. Interviewed in 1956, he recalled how in his childhood he would listen to the blues musician Arthur Crudup, the originator of That's All Right, bang his box the way I do now. And I said, I if I ever go to the place where I could feel all old Arthur felt I'll be a music man like nobody ever saw the Memphis world an African-American newspaper reported that Presley the rock and roll phenomenon cracked Memphis segregation laws by attending local amusement park so this is all just like leading up to showing like he's a good guy he's like showing his love for the African-American yeah so this is all gearing up I'm just I'm gonna skip forward a little bit despite the largely positive view of Presley held by African-Americans a rumor and I have to I have to stress this rumor. This has never been proven, and Elvis sure. denied that he said it. But a rumor um, spread in the mid in mid nineteen fifty seven that Elvis had at some point announced the only thing Negroes can do for me is buy my records and shine my shoes. Now I have to stress that is a rumor. That is a rumor and a quote. Yeah, and he has he was he has been he was asked about it in interviews, and he has denied that he ever said it. 
Which of which? Why would he say that? He's he's already expressed so much fondness yeah, and respect exactly. for them, and he's like done everything to like reduce segregation. Yeah. So a journalist with the National African American Weekly Jet, Louis Robinson, pursued the story of this quote that was attributed to Elvis on the set of Jailhouse Rock. Presley granted Robinson an interview, though he was no longer dealing with the main. Even though he was no longer talking to mainstream press, he granted yeah. this guy an interview. He denied making such a statement and said, I never said anything like that, and people who know me know that I wouldn't have said it. A lot of people seem to think I started this business, but rock and roll was here a long time before I came along. Nobody can sing that kind of music like colored people. Let's face it, I can't sing like Fats Domino can. I know that. Um, and so... The interviewer, Robertson, found no evidence. Yeah, so that took me to Fats Domino, and I went to Fats Domino, and what's really interesting... He was born about the same time my grandpa was born. Nice. Yeah. Fats Domino, he referred to his own genre of music as rhythm and blues. R&B. Yeah. But he's also considered to be one of the architects of rock and roll. And I, there's a quote somewhere on here, I don't remember it was, but somewhere on his Wikipedia page where he was asked about that. And he said that rock, what people call rock and roll, he just calls rhythm and blues. He said, people call me a rock and roll musician, but it's just blues. This is just what I've been doing. And so right here is where what stuck out to me. Um, Elvis Presley declared Domino a huge influence on him when he started out. And when the two of them met in 1959, Elvis described Fats Domino as the real king of rock and roll. And then right behind that says the Beatles were also heavily influenced by Domino. So on one side of the aisle, you've got Muddy Waters influencing everyone. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the aisle, you got Fats Domino Basically, Elvis basically said, everything I did is just Fats Domino inspired. I just do what he did. It's just, I got famous for doing it. He also inspired the Beatles. So, Fats Domino inspired Elvis Presley and the Beatles, and Muddy Waters inspired everyone else. Yeah. And so, what I found is, like, Fats Domino and Muddy Waters are what people claim the Beatles were. And pretty much. The genre they were in, I never realized... That the genre they were in, the blues genre... It's literally one of the hardest genres to play. Well, not just that. I joke that people say that the Beatles invented music. I'm now kind of convinced that... That Fats and Muddy invented music. Well, not specifically, but the blues. Blues musicians invented modern music. Rock and roll is just an evolution of blues music by all accounts. So what you're saying is... Because of Fats Domino and Muddy Waters, we have bands like Cattle Decapitation. I'm getting off this subject. You made, <laughs> you made me profoundly angry. No, but what I'm saying is, like, I get what you're saying. Like, because of the influences all these people have had, like, literally, our modern view of music is literally because of these two guys. Yeah. And it's amazing. And I've now come to realize that, like, of all the... No, I'm not going to say that. I'm, I'm going to leave that. Okay. I think we're good there. It's just, I've... I've I've started listening to some of Muddy Waters and Fat Domino stuff, and I'm not a huge fan of it, just because I'm not a huge fan of blues. Sure. But they have some bangers, like, again, Manish Boy, Masterpiece. Would absolutely recommend everyone listen to it. It's a great song. Um, but I've got so much respect for it now. That was me. I've got so much respect for it now, because now I realize that, like, everything I listen to, I don't know how, but somehow... 
Danny California by Red Hot Chili Peppers was some, influenced by Muddy Waters. Somehow started out with Muddy Waters. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> That's kind of like, so, weird, weird comparison. If I'm going to make this comparison. Um, Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. The technology that was used to make Jar Jar Binks, the motion capture technology used to, me- sure. to make him, it was the first of its kind. Sure. That technology was developed to use Jar Jar Binks, and that same technology was used to make Thanos in the MCU. Without Jar Jar, you don't get Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> so without the one who gave emergency power, yeah. you don't get the snap. <laughs> Jar Jar walked so that Thanos can run. <laughs> <laughs> Could that be the description <laughs> of this episode? <laughs> the Abraham Lincoln, the, the Lincoln's nose survival kind. Jar Jar walks so Thanos can run. How long have we been going? Two hours? I thought we'd been going longer in all honesty. I think we might have a double episode. We're probably yeah, this gonna is going to be a double episode. Split this up. Okay, so I've already I've already made a s- slight reference into this, but we were talking oh. about Space Western. Not yeah. Space, dark Western. One more thing. Sure. Because I just want to get this, because I, I actually kind of want your reaction to this. Speaking of, you talked about how you loved R2 last episode. Sure. And I love Jar Jar. I think you love Jar Jar too. I think I've made you I love, love Jar Jar. Yeah. I, I've loved Jar Jar since I was a kid. I'm going to tell you two things about George Lucas. Uh-huh. One of them is something that is confirmed. I know this is true. I've seen the receipts that prove it. Mm-hmm. One of them... Where's I, the paper? <laughs> one of them... I believe is true, but I've not seen the receipts to prove it. It's just hearsay that I've heard. Okay. All right. So the first thing that is true is that George Lucas's favorite OT character is R2. Yes. And the reason for that is because George Lucas, more than character stuff, he loves special effects. He loves innovating. Like ILM. Yes. The company. ILM, yes. The company that. Very well aware of them. George Lucas founded them, and that company is now the company that does special effects for Star Wars, the MCU. If I remember correctly, ILM was also the people who did Jurassic Park. Yes, they were. So, like, ILM is basically... They're they're the Disney of the visual effects world. Yes, they basically do visual effects for every movie. MCU, Jurassic Park, any big budget movie that that everyone goes to see in theaters... 90% 90% chance the special effects were done by ILM, and that company was founded by George Lucas. Good on him. By all accounts, people who have worked with George Lucas say that he really does not like directing. That is why he only directed A New Hope in the original trilogy. He found other people to direct I Empire. Know that, and re- actually. I thought he directed those. No, he directed A New Hope and wrote it, and he wrote... he. So, get, getting super specific, he wrote and directed A New Hope. He wrote the story treatment for um, Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. and then after, and then during production, he ended up ghostwriting the actual script. He helped. He's not credited as, as a scriptwriter. He's only credit, credited as the story writer. Sure. But he did do rewrites on the script. Yes. So he is a he was heavily and even if he didn't touch the script, he still gave them the story. It was he still told it's them his story. Yes. Yeah, Darth Vader was Luke's dad. All of that. It was the same way with. By the way, did you hear about? How uh, only three people knew about that? Yeah, uh, it, like they—they they were basically like uh, it was a interview with Mark Hamill, and it's like he so he knew Lucas, Lou, James Earl Jones knew, and James Earl Jones. That was it. Well, what's interesting is I've I've also heard people say that the suit actor 
um, David yeah. Prowse. I've yeah. all, I've heard people say that David Prowse accidentally spoiled that before the movie came out. So some accounts claim that David Prowse also knew. Mm-hmm. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and the line on set that they had that they said was Obi Wan killed your father. Not yeah, Obi Wan killed your father long ago is what the original line was supposed to be. Yeah, and and then like Lucas comes in with the actual line. Yeah, for James Earl Jones to say, and he only, and he told Luke um, the line so that Mark Hamill would know would be able to react to it. Yes, because they needed to get Mark. They needed Mark Hamill to react to it, the right line, and not the fake line. So they said. The line, the line he's going to give you is a fake one. Well, I remember right, they gave him just as like, okay, we got to change to the sheet. And it was just like one singular line or whatever on the sheet. And it's like, no, I am your father. And he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and from what I... He's like, the, like, apparently when he was on set, he was like, this changes everything. Yeah. And I think he also said that... Um, I think Mark Hamill also said that when they gave him that, they told him... Uh, you, yes, you're the only per- you are one of only three people who know. So if this leaks, we'll know it was you. <laughs> yes, exactly. basically just that, he he said that in an interview with um, someone, and then and then he said apparently in the same interview, um, he was uh, in the theaters with everybody watching the I can't, uh, screening for it. I can't believe like. I'm so sad I wasn't alive to be in the theaters for that reveal. Well, so the the screening, and then as the screening's going on, like they get to that moment, and Harrison Ford looks over at Mark Hamill and goes, "You didn't tell me that, kid." (laughs) (laughs) What? I I thought I would have just imagined Harrison Ford. I would just imagine Harrison Ford looking over Mark Hamill and go, "What the?" (laughs) Well, apparently he looked and went, "You don't. You didn't tell me that, kid." Yeah, just something like that. And um, he did an impersonation of him in the interview, and he's like, "I, I don't sound like that." <laughs> but yes, so yeah, there's. So, but so George Lucas, big special effects guy. That's yeah. why he didn't direct the second. He wrote the story, and co-wrote the script for Empire, and he wrote the story for yes. Return of Jedi. And he actually did, from what I understand, he did direct the scene where Luke unmasks Vader. Oh, okay. He wanted to direct that himself. So Is that did, like uh, that's his baby, right there? I guess so. Yeah. And then when he made the prequel trilogy, he actually tried to find people to direct it. He didn't want to direct it himself, but everyone he tried to get to direct it said that he should direct it because it's his baby. But he didn't want to direct it himself, but he ended up having to. And then people were like, man, like Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace sucks. It's so bad. There's no story plot to it at all. There's no main characters. And then you get the sequel trilogy and you're like, nothing. It's just... Crickets yeah. across the plains. Well, what's interesting is um, also Revenge of the Sith, from what I understand, S- Steven Spielberg is not credited, but he's George Lucas's friend. They've been best friends forever. Yes. They actually had a bet um, when... Um, I don't remember what movie was coming out at the same time. Let me see. Uh, Spielberg. Berg, 1977. Movie? Did he release anything then? Oh, Close Encounters at the third game. Yeah. I don't think it was... I don't think it was that. Maybe, but... Um, whatever it was, um, Steel, Spielberg and Lucas... Actually, George Lucas created Indiana Jones. Yes. Spielberg made, directed them, but Lucas created that character and um, wrote the story treatments for each movie. Yes. So that's actually... Also, funny thing is this. I find that this is one of the coolest things. So, majority of projects... That George Lucas has had his hand on, if not all of them, 
all of the music. Oh yeah. Was John Williams. Yeah. Dude, and it's it, it, John it, Williams is a master too. And it's crazy to think about the fact that George Lucas, like George Lucas, a single dude created Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Darth Vader, Obi Wan Kenobi, and Indiana Jones. Literally, Indiana Jones and Star Wars at, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they were the, those were the kings were the, of cinema. Yeah. And George Lucas was behind both of them. Yeah. And then... It's crazy. Well, here's the cooler thing, okay? Then you have projects like ILM's, one of their first jobs was Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, Steven, maybe if I look it up, I'll... So, literally, there, there's so many different connections that George Lucas has got his hands on. So, I don't remember what the bet was. Um, probably click on it there and it'll say. Um, okay, it was Close Encounters at the third time. So, George Lucas, that was his first big budget movie. Sure. Obviously, and it was a sci-fi movie, which Star Wars... Was also a sci-fi movie. When, well, I'm talking about Star Wars, but what I mean is, it's hard to imagine. But before Star Wars, sci-fi was just like B movie, B movie schlock. Yeah, it was just like alien movies, if anything, and they weren't that great. Yeah, and like they were kind of a joke. And it's hard to picture that now because we live in a post Star Wars world. But in a post Star Wars, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, <laughs> but so because we don't talk about. No. But so George Lucas was really afraid. And I think at this point, Steven Spielberg was already an established director. He'd already released stuff. So he was a bit further along than Lucas, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so, but George, but Steven Spielberg knew, Star, had seen it. He'd seen the rough cuts. He had seen all that. And he was convinced that it would be a big hit. And he and, and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg made a bet with each other, which was um, that if... Star Wars outgrow made more money than St- Spielberg's movie, which released the same year, which was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, Lucas would pay would have to pay forty. Yeah, Steven Spielberg forty million dollars, and uh, would have to give him a cut of all Star Wars related ro- royalties into perpetuity. So obviously, Close Encounters. Well, this is part of it. Obviously, made around three hundred million dollars, and Star Wars made like a billion blew it out of the water yep. and so to this well i say this partly to illustrate even before george lucas was on the map before he before he had made a name for himself at all he was making bets with steven spielberg so they've been homies since before they were famous yeah so they've been friends forever that's also to say steven spielberg to this day is still making money off of star wars because he still makes royalties off yeah. of star wars because of that bet and, and the thing is this like it's all in royalties essentially yeah I think he makes back end off of the movies too. Mm-hmm. So and that's, everything. That's the same thing for Alec Guinness, the original actor for <laughs> Yeah, Obi-Wan. Alec Guinness was he was a phenomenal actor and he like basically they spent their budget on Alec Guinness. Well no, what it was I don't think they spent their budget on it. What it was was um Alec Guinness. I think they didn't pay him a No, he he took a percentage is what he did. Exactly. So in order to get him he agreed to like pay, work for less if they agreed to pay him a percentage of all money that Star Wars made made on any movies, merchandise, mm-hmm. anything, and that and that contract I'm pretty sure extends to his family. So Alec Guinness is long dead, and his family still gets a cut of everything Star Wars makes. Yep, 
I want to marry into that family. <laughs> so the thing is, like, it, the they wanted to get Alec Guinness, and they were like, okay, we'll give you a percentage well, before of the movie. Him, so he was guaranteed money no well, matter what. Before him, they wanted to get a Japanese actor named Toshiro, Toshiro Mifune, I believe. Toshiro Mifune. That sounds familiar. Toshiro Mifune, uh, he was in Seven Samurai. He was in other movies okay. such as Sanjuro. He's a very famous samurai. He is... Toshiro Mifune is essentially, um, I would argue, he's the Clint Eastwood of Japanese cinema. Oh, okay. So he was very famous, and they wanted to get him to play Obi-Wan, because Obi-Wan and the Jedi were inspired by Eastern philosophy and all that. Which is actually funny. I've seen people, as a point of criticism against the OT, point out that it's not diverse enough. Like, they say all the cast of A New Hope is all white. And then even in later movies, you only get Lando as the one black guy. And they don't say it, but it seems like they kind of imply, like, it's kind of racist if you ask me that George Lucas wasn't casting minorities. I'm like, he wanted to cast an Asian dude as Obi-Wan! But what about Mifune? (laughs) Yeah. Like, literally, Obi-Wan Kenobi, one of the most beloved characters, people love him in the prequel trilogy. If Lucas got his way, he would have been Asian. He would have been Asian. (laughs) Which I think would have been cool, actually. Yeah, to have yeah. Asian, as Asian, Asian Obi Wan, and the, then the, if you think of it this way, then modern like uh, like uh, prequel trilogy Obi Wan exactly would have been like weird. Well, dude, well, I'm getting prequel. Like, I don't even know who they could have cast at that time. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I it's it would be so interesting to like go into another universe where he's Asian and see who they cast as Obi Wan. I know who they would need. Donnie Yoon. Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen, Ip Man. No, I just want to see how old he is. Donnie Yen, uh, 59. How old is Ewan McGregor? Roughly the same age. No, he's not. 51. Eight years. Yeah, so I think they'd want to go. They'd like, s- it would have worked. Yeah, but I think Because, well, you think of it this way. Look how old that Asian man looks. He looks youthful. <laughs> he looks early 40s. Dude, what, what other famous Asian actors were... Because I know it wasn't just Donnie Yen. Uh, Jackie Chan. Um, he, he would be too he, old. He's in his 70s now. Um, really, there's no other ones from that time period that would have been... Jet Li. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, there's got to be someone. Jet Li, but the thing is this, I feel John, Donnie Yen would be better. How old is Jet Li? 59. Oh my gosh. Uh, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan is, I think he's 63. No, he's in, he's in his seventies. I guarantee. Oh, sixty-eight. He's almost. I was in his two 70s. years off. He's man. almost in his seventies. Oh, 70s. what about that? Mm, how you like my now? <laughs> uh, let's see. Who else? I mean, Keanu Reeves. To be fair, is a quarter Asian, but I don't oh. think that's enough. Him. Oh, Hiro- I don't remember how to say his name. Hiroyuki Sanada. Yeah, he would be a perfect Obi Wan. He would be pretty good. How old? How old he's is the guy who played Scorpion in the newest yeah. Mortal Kombat movie, and he was also, um, he was also the guy who was um, the number two to Keanu Reeves in Forty Seven Ronin. Okay. Okay. Like but, Donnie Yen or. Um, and also, dude, I just because of because of the way uh, the the critic the critic landscape is now, where it's like if you've got a minority main character or something like that, you, like you've got to like it because yeah. you know it's diverse. Like I would love to live in the universe where the prequels came out and the main character is Asian, and so like that just gives them a shield from being criticized. I would love to u- live in that universe. Well, but- 
you honestly like so Donnie Yen, he um sorry, um, Ip Man. If you've never watched it, oh, and do I'll, you know anything about Ip Man? No, but keep talking. I'm gonna go ahead and look up Toshiro Mifune so you can so, put a name to the face. Ip Man is one of the greatest. Oh yeah, I know exactly who that is. Uh. I want to find a version of him in, like, one of his movies that... You know what? I'll just go to Sanjiro, because... Yeah, I, I know about Sanjiro. So that's who they wanted for Obi-Wan? Yeah. yeah, that would have been great, too. So, um... When did this come out? Donnie Yen so, played all of the If Man roles besides, like, two, I think. And one was, like, um... Some, like, distant future one where it was, like... Ip Man and his grandpa age. And then there was another one called The Grandmaster, which um, was portraying Ip Man as well. Okay. And so Ip Man is known to be the father of what is known as Wing Chun. Wing Chun is the style that Bruce Lee took, changed, and made his own. Okay. Bruce Lee's teacher is Ip Man. Okay. And so there are numerous movies... That are kind of based on actual things that happened in the times of Ip Man. Okay. And Ip Man was very, very strong. Um, and there is even a legend that he could take on ten men by himself. He was so strong. Oh, if only Joel could do that in the TV show. Exactly. But so there's there's a lot of different things, and they do take some some cinematic liberties within the show. Yeah. But the thing is, there there's a lot of loosely based things to yeah. the movies, and there are three, four of them. Mind you, Mike Tyson does not show up in uh, If Man's Life. Oh, dude, I would love. Even I, though he is in the third. Dude, movie. I'm just thinking about all the ripple effects of having like an Asian an, actor, an Obi-Wan. Asian Obi Wan, and let's say Donnie Yen did play him, and like he gets Donnie Yen or uh, what's his name, uh, Jet Li, uh, Haruyuki, Hiroyuki Sana, Hi- Hiroyuki, the guy who played. Uh, See, I, I'm in will, 47. Right? I'm willing to. Um, I'm willing to. Uh, like let Donnie Yen be in, even though he's almost 10 years older than Ewan, but like. Hiroyuki Sanada was over 10 years older, and at that point I feel like he's aging out. Well, it'd be really hard to get him uh, as uh, episode 1 Obi-Wan. Yeah. Donnie Yen, not so much because of the Asian... Uh, ability like it's it's literally built into their genes to where they look younger. I didn't naturally, even, dude. I didn't. I forgot that he was in Bullet Train. I didn't even know he was in Bullet Train. He's in Bullet Train. He's pretty cool in it. Yeah, dude. Like I love this guy as an actor. He is. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, dude. Stop, stop. Don't touch anything. Oh, the Twilight Samurai. I thought I just saw Twilight. I was like, he was in Twilight. What? Oh yeah, that's an old. I was like, dude. I was like, do not tell me that Hiroyuki Sanada was in Twilight. I'm gonna he lose was in my Ring. mind. Ring. Yeah, Ring. Ring. Yeah, which is, I think, if that, I remember correctly, that one is. But anyway, dude, just imagine. Yeah, that is the the Japanese Ring movie. Because I, I feel like Japanese actors, it seems like because of the honor culture that they come from, mm-hmm. I feel like if you get like a Donnie Yen or a Hiroyuki Sanada back two years ago, like. Looking at the Kenobi script, they'd just be like, "This is a load of like 
This is they, they they would have been like, nah, this ain't happening. Yeah, this ain't happening. That's actually why Toshiro Mifune, the reason they couldn't get him for Star Wars is because like he was like, nah, this ain't happening. They, they like pitched the idea to him. He was like, that sounds like a bunch of bull. Is <laughs> like, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, that's a blessing and a curse. The Asian ability to see, like, oh, yeah, this is a bunch of bullcrap, but then you lose out on the one good thing, which yeah. is Star Wars. Which is, that the same thing happened to, um, did you <laughs> did you know um, Sean Connery was the original choice to play Gandalf in Lord of the Rings? Yes. And he said no, because he was like, this seems like a bunch of bull. <laughs> there was another person that missed out on something. I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't Gandalf. It was, uh... Uh, a couple of people missed out on Aragorn. They actually cast a dude as Aragorn and started filming with him. And then they fired him because they decided he wasn't old enough for the role. And then they replaced him with Viggo Mortensen. But Viggo Mortensen's great. Yeah, but even before all of that, do you know who the studio's first pick for Aragorn was? Who? I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. Shaggy Rogers. Nicolas Cage. I'm not even joking. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> That would, have been the, uh, that, would have been, uh, that would have been the greatest uh, thing ever. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would have been the greatest thing ever. So, so there's sometimes when Henry does that whole motion, he'll actually get up and just start pacing back and forth very fast. They can hear it. Well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like you'll actually get up and pace back and forth, and I've never done that. I've yeah. only just like sat. That was the first time that I got up and like did the whole pacing thing. You're, t- you're telling me, you're telling me that you don't want Nicolas Cage as Aragorn. Come on, we gotta get the, uh, the uh, hobbits to come on, Isengard. Come on, we gotta we gotta get the the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> I was told once that uh, my I sound a bit like Nicolas Cage. Whoever said that was high. Well, they said it while I was saying something under my breath, like I was muttering. I think when I talk low, like I said something like, "Man, like man, I am just so sick of this." He's like, "You kind of sound like Nicholas." Okay, Cage. I can understand that slightly. Yeah. Okay, so I think we'll only hit on like one more topic. Okay. Because I, I feel like this one can. I still wasn't done with the George Lucas thing though. Oh, gosh. So the second thing. Oh, I spiraled off into the tangent of um, Asian. I spiraled off into Asian Obi Wan. Um, the, the, Steel, the Spielberg connection, which is actually, from what I understand, Spielberg actually ghost directed Revenge of the Sith because Ooh. George Lucas like straight up went to him and said, I'm forcing you to do this because I don't want to direct. Like, I'm so sick of it. And I, apparently there are stories from the set of any time an actor would have a question or a complaint or a, like say, we should, I think we should do this with this scene instead. And they would go to Lu- Lucas. He would, he would, he would point to Spielberg and say, talk to him. <laughs> leave me alone and there's actually a funny um many people who have worked with george lucas say that he doesn't like working with actors by all accounts he likes being in the editing room editing film yeah. looking at the fe- special effects looking at the visual effects going all yeah that especially is with ilm yeah like, he created ilm so it tells that me. is the part of the movie making process that he lives for and by all accounts he does not like being on set or talking to actors at all and i saw a really funny clip once of um he's basically autistic <laughs> he was filming a scene for he was filming one of the scenes in attack of the clones it's the scene where anakin and padme are talking in her apartment before they go and like they finished a scene where Anakin, Hayden Christensen says something, they're like, cut, we're good. And and Lucas is literally be like, all right, let's go to the next scene. And Hayden stops him and goes, hey, I, I don't know how, I didn't feel too good about my reading of that one line. Could we do that again? And Lucas goes, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and they do it again. Because <laughs> he just didn't like working with actors. 
I don't want to do this anymore. By this all is a- my job. <laughs> By all accounts, George. <laughs> wait, wait. So what you're saying is, in that moment when Hayden Christensen did that, in his mind, he had a proverbial ah. <laughs> <laughs> By all accounts, George Lucas is a nice guy. He just hates being around people. Yes, he's a recluse. He hates having to work with them. And so his favorite character, going back to that, yes. is R2. Specifically because R2 was the first character that they ever managed to do something like that in live action. Oh, yeah. Like the character of R2, they had like three different props for him. There was a just there was an articulated prop which Kenny Baker, the actor, would get in and he would he could yes. sw- he could swivel the head around and light stuff up from the inside and do stuff. So there was a an immobile prop that did not move, but it was articulated. The head would spin and all that, and they would have a guy puppeting it from the inside. Sure. There was a mobile prop that you couldn't put anyone in because I don't think they had room in it. It was a robot, essentially. Yeah, which would, it was on uh, yeah, wheels which would move around. And then I think there was a third one, but they had like three different versions of R2 that they would switch in and out for different scenes depending on what they needed. In which then they progressed that into BB-8 as well. Yeah. And what I'm getting at is, so they had to put all that work in, and from what I understand, R2 is George Lucas' favorite character for that reason, because they got that character working, and they got it on screen, and he was like, we did it. That should have been impossible, but we did it, and he exists. Yes. And that is why... R2 is there, and that's why George Lucas likes him so much, because that's the stuff George Lucas lives for. Yeah. Now, what I believe, but have not seen proof of, but I believe it, is I have heard that Jar Jar is his favorite prequel character for the same reason. Because Jar Jar Binks was the first fully CGI motion capture character in a live-action movie. and so So the fact that you haven't seen anything yet declares that it's not... But the fact that you also haven't seen anything yet also declares that it is. So we have Schrodinger's Jar Jar yeah. now. I have. Well, I've <laughs> heard people make the claim. I've just not seen the like relevant the info- receipts. Yeah, the receipts. But I believe it because that's the same reason he likes R two. Yeah, uh, and it just it fits with his personality, which which is that like he doesn't he's not so invested in the character side so much as in the. This thing should not be able to exist, but we but we made it. We do you do you want to know who my favorite it? character is in all of Star Wars? Uh, hold on, hold You're on. You're not gonna guess it. Jabba the Hutt. No. You want to buy some death sticks? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's not. I'm joking, but like literally, I feel like that guy, like that whole scene right there, was hilarious. You want to buy some death sticks? You do not want to buy. I do not want to buy. He does not want to buy any death sticks. You want to go, go home and rethink your. I want to go home and rethink my life. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. life. <laughs> that was scripted. the fact that freaking Obi Wan just like nah, dude. Okay, so I feel like we're only gonna hit one one more topic now. How many more are there? Uh, I think three. Okay, three more. There's three topics I have left in this page. Okay, so we're at. We're just at three hours. The usual episode is about two. We may be able to hit two. I'd like to, because if we're splitting this into two episodes, I feel like we can get through all three, depending on how quickly okay. we go. So, uh, being as I already mentioned it, we're going to talk about it. Um, so, you were talking about dark westerns with the Dark Tower and all sure. that stuff, and so like, I, I still need to read those books. I really do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, have you heard about a new dark western that's coming out called The Thicket? No. So, it's going to have Peter Dinklage in it. 
Oh, it's not a book. It's a. Uh... It's an actual movie. It's okay. Like, um. That's the piece of information I wanted to have you see. James Hetfield from Metallica. Oh! The lead singer of Metallica. Oh, wait, it is a novel. It's a murder mystery, but it's like a dark western. Okay, it's a western film. Okay. And James Hetfield's gonna be in it. So, James Hetfield from Metallica. I don't see him on the cast list here. Right there. Oh, there he is. Okay. James Hetfield from Metallica. Is this the first movie he's been in? I don't believe so. Discography, filmography, uh, a year and a half of metallic documentary, documentary. So, so, so extremely wicked, some like that. There was a show that he was in. That's a film, or yeah, a movie. Okay, yeah. so and then on shows, he was on Dave the Barbarian. Yeah, uh, he, he was on a couple little things, but he's never truly been. In a film, film. Okay, yeah. So like, he's so he's only been in. He's only played a character in one other film. Yes. Uh so. Oh, I What's your thought about musicians in movies? Um, I don't see it happening too often. I know that Flea was in the Kenobi show. Flea was also in something else. I don't remember what. Yeah, I know Flea was in um. So I'm actually going to look this up because Flea has shown up in a bunch of movies that I see them. I'm like, really? He was in that. It makes me kind of want to. I can't watch remember it. what there was a specific movie that I've I think seen he was in. He was in the background. Of. I think he was in the Matrix. I think, I think so as well. It sounds right. Flea. So filmography. He was in Back to the yeah, Future. Yeah, Back to the That's Future. That's what I remember him in. Douglas. He was in Back to the Future two and three. Uh, what else? He was in the. Is that what I'm thinking of? The original Outsiders. Yes. Is this Pony Boy? The Pony Boy one. He was in that. Oh my gosh! There's only one set of Outsiders. It's Pony Boy. Well, I. He was a probably a, not a main character. Oh, I forgot Tom Cruise was also in that. I didn't realize that. I did know that. I knew so. Ralph Macchio was in it. Yeah, uh, Ralph Macchio is in. See Thomas Howell. Where do I know? Oh, see Thomas Howell. I know that because he was in. Um, he was in The Walking Dead. Oddly enough, see Thomas Howell played a. Um, yeah, he was in four episodes of The Walking Dead. The oh. main character of uh, The Outsiders. Uh, Matt, don't know who that... Ralph Macchio, obviously. Patrick Swayze? Rob Lowe? I didn't know Rob Lowe. So, Rob Lowe was Soda Pop? What? Dude, Emilio... Charlie Sheen's dad was in this. <laughs> that's not Charlie Sheen's dad. Wait, is it not? No, that's Charlie Sheen's brother. Oh, Martin Sheen is their dad. Yeah, okay. Martin Sheen's their dad, dude. Charlie Sheen's brother was in this. Tom, so this this movie has Ralph Macchio. I've seen this movie, and I did. I only you didn't realize the star cast that's in it. Yeah, uh, my so I think in middle school we we read we were mm -hmm. assigned to read the Outsiders, and they I showed read, us. The I read movie it in afterwards. Um, fifth grade. Yeah, and they showed us the movie after we'd read it. I knew that Tom Cruise and Ralph Whoa. Macchio was, were in it. My I, bad. Fourth grade. I knew that Tom Cruise and Ralph Macchio were in it. I did not realize that Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, and Charlie Sheen's brother were also in this. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise. I said... I, said, oh, I didn't hear you say Tom Cruise. Well, I said I already knew he was in that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I knew that Tom Cruise and Ralph Macchio Wait. were there. I did not know about these others. Tom Waltz. Waits. I don't know who Waits. that is. Okay, he's just a musician. Uh, uh, Diane Lane. I know that voice. What, what was she in? Uh, she... Uh, Man of Steel, she's Superman's mom. Oh, yes. That's where I know her from. Uh, so, Flea, what's his filmography now? So, Flea, 
he was okay yeah uncredited so he was an, a background character in outsiders uh, i'm just gonna skip over the ones that i don't recognize psycho he's in back to the future two and three son-in-law uh, son-in-law that movie i've mentioned with paulie short Oh, he was. A, oh, okay. He was a tattoo artist. I didn't realize that. Uh, so in the in the movie, you basically see this girl who goes to California, and she's like getting out, like actually like learning what society looks like besides suburban like Iowa. Oh, uh, Point Break. That's gonna show up somewhere around here. He was Flea was in Point Break. I remember that. Yes. Um. So he was apparently. Rats gone wild. The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, Psycho. That's not the original Psycho. No, no, that's the... Uh, um, oh, the remake that no one liked. <coughs> yeah, the remake no one liked, not the one with Christian Bale. <clears throat> that's American Psycho. Yeah, I wasn't talking about that one either. Do you not remember the original Psycho? The original Psycho was the black and white. Yeah, so... Then they remade it back in the 90s. Yeah, so when I say the, the Psycho remake, I'm obviously not talking about American Psycho. A lot of people can get that mixed up. Would they? Yes. Are you sure? They have the name Psycho in it, so it's just... Yeah, and they're all, like, roughly the same kind of theme. I'm not, like, joking at all. Like, I don't see how anyone could get Wait, American Psycho what? and Psycho mixed up. What? Is Donnie Thornberry the, the baby? <laughs> He's that guy. So I guess he voiced Grown Up. Wait, or did was he in the show? Hold on. Yes. What? Donnie was the boy who just go, yeah. Lee voiced that dude? That's funny. Uh... <laughs> so what you're telling me is, like, I was never a big Wild Thornberry's guy, but I remember watching it. Yeah. I remember, like, books. Like, my mom buying me book, like, little picture books to read. I remember it being a part of my childhood. Flea was a part of my childhood before the Chili Peppers were. Mm-hmm. That's so cr- that's so insane, bro. It's like you were destined to meet Flea. <laughs> it's like I was. The, oh, okay. I just saw the movie that I remember him from most. What? Uh, Baby Driver. He was in Baby Driver. Yeah, he was one of the getaway guys with the uh, Michael Myers mask. That's in, no that's... Mike Myers mask, not the Michael Myers. Mask. Oh, he he was a voice in Toy Story Four. Kaboom! TV announcer. Duke Kaboom! That um stunt toy. Have you not seen the movie? Nope. Oh, okay. Well, d- uh, there's a stunt toy named Duke Kaboom who's voiced by Keanu Reeves, and apparently Flea voiced the commercial that advertises the Keanu Reeves toy. Gosh. Inside uh, Out? He was just a minor character. Oh, he was in... I remember seeing... I, the, the Chili Peppers Instagram, I saw them promoting this. He's in the new movie Babylon. Yeah, so... Uh, I saw it there. Baby Driver. Yeah, Baby Driver. He was one of the, uh, the robbers in the second robbing. Oh, my God. What? Inside Out? No, so, no, 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 Luke. I need you to realize something. Hmm. So Flea was in Wild Thornberries, which mm-hmm. was a part of my childhood. Okay. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, that movie and the books it's based on, are the movies that got me into music. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't just get me, no, sorry, they didn't get me into music, they got me into playing bass. I play, I am a bass player because of Scott Pilgrim. It made me want to pick up the bass. Sure. Playing bass is what made me discover the Red Hot Chili Peppers because they got some of the best bass lines ever to practice to. Fruition. No. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was directed by Edgar Wright. Baby Driver was directed by Edgar Wright. Literally, it all circles around. Fruition, my What is happening? Ah! 
fruition, my man. Uh, no, no. Oh my, that's dude. That's cool though, dude. Like how like everything is so interlocked and connected, man. Dude, that's crazy. Oh. It's so yeah. Like you have certain musicians now. My and, you. And so I so. You asked me about James Hetfield. Bring it back to that. Sure. Yeah. Do you want to add anything? I so uh, I was thinking, like, we we look at like artists in movies. So we have James Hetfield's going to be in a Hetfield's going to be in a movie. And so and we have Flea, who's been in a significant amount of stuff, but Flea's been around for a minute. Well, so has James Hetfield. James Hetfield. Jam- no, I'm talking about in film. Sure. James Hetfield's not been around really for anything also, except for his own documentary. In terms of um, TV, outside of the Wild Thornberries, like Homeboy's been in everything, but he has also had appearances in there in night shows as well. But but like most of them are like appearances as himself, like he cameos sure. as himself, like on The Simpsons, he's voicing himself or something like that. They're cameos outside SNL. of outside of the Wild Thornberries. It seems like the only TV show he appeared on where he wasn't appearing on like a talk show or just playing himself. Is the Obi Wan show where he played the bounty hunter that kidnapped Leia in those oh. first two episodes? So, um, but yeah, so he's he's been in a lot of stuff, but at the same time, like he's not. So there's them. I know Lenny Kravitz was in uh, the Hunger Games movies. Yeah, uh, I really don't know a ton of musicians who've been in movies. I know Anthony Kiedis has also been in movies. Anthony Kiedis's uh, dad was actually a professional actor. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he wasn't like a famous producer. By the ways, actor. everyone, just so you know, I am not a fan of Anthony Kiedis. I don't have a problem with Red Hot Chili Peppers as a whole, but I do have a problem with Kiedis. Yeah, he so he wasn't he's not been in in as many movies, but he no. was in Point Point Break, and I could have sworn Flea was in that too. Let me see, is Flea not in it? No, I thought Flea and Kiedis were both in Point Break. I guess not. I could have sworn... They mentioned Keyes right there. Yeah, I could have sworn he was in it. Let me go back to Fleek. Anyway, say what you were saying. So, like, you look in music and everything, you don't see a ton of people who have been in music who are in movies. Unless they're cameoing as themselves. Yeah, exactly. Flea is one of the only ones I know of who has a, like, persistent film career. Like, you look yeah. at it, he's actually been in lots of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of others that are actually, like, notable. I'll, like, I can only think of... Oh, um, so, I know Taylor Swift's been in some stuff. But, eh. she vo- She was one of the main voices in the Lorax movie that came out a couple of years ago. Okay, interesting. Beyonce. Oh! There's a voice actor, though. Yeah, Donald Glover. Yeah. He's been. In, he started as an actor before he became a musician. Mm-hmm. He started in Community. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, but like, I know Beyonce. Just type in uh, musicians and movies. I was about to musicians and movies. Uh, oh, I forgot about Ice Cube. My gosh. Oh, dude, I forgot Will Smith had a. Yeah. Music. So what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to um, pare this down, and say if like Will Smith can't count. I feel Queen Latifah can count. I forgot about her. So, well, here's the thing. So, Will Smith cannot count. Amen. He's a movie actor before a musician. Sure. Uh, say, Jamie Foxx definitely can count. How? What's his music career? Never heard the song Gold Digger by Kanye West? He was on that? You take the money. That was- well, I'm in need. That voice there is Jamie Foxx. He's... Well, He's the person who did the background stuff. Was he was he doing that before he was a Yeah, an actor? Jamie Foxx has been around. He's been around as an actor cuz he had his own television show. Yeah, but did he start as an actor or as a musician? 
I want to say as a musician, but I may be wrong. Like he started in because when I think of musicians as ninety uh, four. Okay, now he he had a show before then. I would say that. Uh, Wikipedia. Let's see where his first role is. Filmography. So actually, ninety two. Ninety two. His first. Ninety four. Ninety two. First discog first album was in ninety four. Ninety two. Because that's the thing, like, I don't, maybe we're not going to have a good way to, like... Justin Timberlake. He counts. Yes, he counts. Very like, I, I, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I can accept that Jamie Foxx counts, because everyone, everyone knows him as an actor. Sure. He's not known anywhere near as much as a musician. Eminem. Eminem He's only counts. been in a couple things. Eminem counts. For you yeah, about the King Daddy himself. Prince, yeah. Oh, Prince boy. David Bowie. He was in, uh, what movie was, uh... Uh, he was in the labyrinth. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Justin Timberlake counts. I've, have you seen In Time? Yes, I love that movie. I think that's the only. Justin I've only seen Tim- it once. I think that's the only Justin Timberlake movie I've seen, but I liked it Trolls. too. No. Have you seen Trolls? No. <laughs> um, I know he's been something else that I remember. Uh... Shrek the Third. Oh, the Social Network, dude. Uh, yeah, I forgot. The Social Network is phenomenal. I have not watched that Phenomenal. movie. Phenomenal. Dude, that movie is so good. Dude, The Social Network. He was also a bad teacher. The Social Network single-handedly. He was in Shrek 3rd too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the Social Network single-handedly made me a Jesse Eisenberg fan. I loved him in that movie. You know what made me a Jesse Eisenberg fan? Zombieland. <laughs> For a minute, I thought you were going to say Lex Luthor. <laughs> Dude, I didn't even watch that movie. Yeah, that was a good choice. I forgot Mark Wahlberg counts as a musician. Yeah, he not... was, but he doesn't count. Yeah, we're not counting. He's that. Marky Mark. Oh, Jack Black. He's a musician too. Bro, bro, what? Bradley Cooper. Uh, oh, because of he he did music in A Star Is Born. I guess. Yes, that counts. Uh, well, well, no, he doesn't count, but he counts as a musician. So musician first, then turned actor. Yeah, oh, cool, Jay. Because we have to draw that distinction. Like, like Zendaya is not going to count. Like, she's right there. She doesn't count. We're not counting her. No, Zendaya doesn't count. Alice Cooper counts, I guess. Oh, yes. The Coop does. Oh, I forgot. He was in Wayne's World. Dude, he, I love Wayne's World so much. He was in um, um, Dark Shadows. Was he? Yeah, he played himself. He got... Uh, the Collins family booked him to play their it's been so, I only show. saw that movie in theaters. I saw it recently. I saw it Bro, in theaters. your obsession with Haley Seinfeld is a problem. You need to chill, dude. Well, no, I'm, I'm actually want to see... I don't care. No, I want to see if she started as an actor first, because I know she was in the remake of True Grits. So she... Yeah, 2008. 20, 2008 is her first thing. Yeah, the True did. Grit one was 2010, which is funny. I didn't realize she was in that until much later. Discography. She started as a, an actor super early, so I need to see. 2015. No, wait, wait, wait. 2015. 2015, yeah. So, she's yeah, an actor, actor first. first. She doesn't count. I wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure. So, yeah, she doesn't count in this. Uh... Christina Aguilera counts. Is she an actress? Interesting. Interesting. She's played in a couple things, not much. I, I don't. Uh, in my mind, I don't allow Beyonce because I don't want to feed that ego. Well, I was about to say, like, I, she came to my mind, like, she does count, but yeah, I don't want to really acknowledge it either. I Let, let's be honest. 
your boy Ice Cube. It, like, <laughs> why does he? Why does he have a picture of Prince? <laughs> Senior in high school. That's why he looked that way. So, obviously, he's one of the guys from... Uh, NWA? Yeah, NWA. Um, but his like first big role that he's ever played... No, I'm getting him and Ice-T mixed up. Well, he is a, he is an actor. Yeah. And his son's an actor. His son played him in the uh, Straight Outta Compton movie. Yeah. Straight Outta Compton! Straight Outta Compton! <laughs> 91. Boys in the Hood. Wait, wait. So was he an actor first? I doubt it. 90. Yeah, no. It was close. Yeah, but there, I knew there was no way. he. There were, wait, NWA started in 88, so no. Yeah, there was no way. There's no way he started as an actor. Like it was, He was in Anaconda. So, oh. Right click on it. <laughs> reopen last. Right click again. Reopen last. Real easy to do. So, like, if we're going off of this list, because I don't really want to take the time to try and think of more. Yeah. I feel like the most prominent... Uh, they don't have Flea on here, which is surprising, considering the caliber of movies he's been well, in. Well, look at the caliber of people you have on here. These people, they consider to be more important than Flea. I don't, I don't know who that is. Exactly. She's a wappa. Aquafina. Wait, 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 wait. Click it again. No, click on. What? Yeah, yeah. She has a particular song talk about a particular part. That's weird. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, dude, for, for, forget that. Like, replace... Certainly replace Aquafina. Replace Bradley Cooper. Like... Flea's... Flea is a lot more prominent than people give him credit for. True. It's the stigma of the base. Boy, Trent, uh, like, Trent Reznor. Come on, Trent Reznor over Flea. Really? I'm I, sorry. I hurt myself <laughs> no, today. No, Trent Reznor. I'm a creep. <laughs> Trent Reznor, the dude whose most famous song got stolen by Johnny Cash. and he No, his most famous song is Creep. No, Hurt. No, so, the... As Nine Inch Nails, the best song that they ever put out was Creep. But the best song he ever wrote and was taken by somebody else was obviously Johnny Cash singing Hurt. Exactly. So Trent Reznor, his most famous song was literally stolen by... Not literally. Obviously, he got permission to do it. But what I mean is that... That song is no longer Trent Reznor's. That song is now Johnny Cash's. People legitimately... I've seen people get into fights about it in YouTube comments. There are people who legitimately believe and refuse to acknowledge that Hurt was not written by Johnny Cash because they are so convinced that he wrote it. Like, there's... I've seen entire narratives. Like, people think that Johnny Cash wrote Hurt after... Oh, speaking of... Yeah. <laughs> people... The man himself. There are people who actually genuinely believe that Johnny Cash wrote Hurt... After his wife died, and that that in time, yeah, there's a, there's a thought behind that, but well, that's why I'm saying like Trent Reznor, it's like singer of Nine Inch Nails. Okay, their biggest song, the thing that they are known for, is a Johnny Cash cover, and you're telling me that you're putting this dude on there before Flea. Okay, so his music career started when he was playing in. Yeah, Tenacious, Tenacious D. D. I thought you knew this. 
Which I, I'm trying to figure out years is what it is. Dude, he was an actor before musician. Ten- Tenacious D. By a couple years. Yeah, Tenacious D was a band. Let me see if I he can. He was in Demolition it. Man? Apparently. Uh, Tenacious D, what was that from? Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. But also they were a band uh, in the uh, 90s. Hold on, Tenacious D. Uh, Tenacious Defense. I could have sworn that Tenacious D started as a fictional band they were playing in a movie. Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. Oh, but that was um, that's that was after they'd already been the band. Yeah. No, I th- I thought that what happened is they played a fictional band in a movie, then they made it a real band afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that way. <laughs> but I I did know for a fact that he was an actor before he was a musician. Anyway, well, so from that list, I saw the ones that stuck out were Madonna, mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand, which I remember I'm, people make fun of her all the time. Yes, for that. So, but by the way. It's- Jew. Sure. She is a Jew. Well, you you could you can tell. <laughs> the last name tells it all. <laughs> um, and what's the other one? Oh, I'm blanking on it. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Dude, Lady Gaga is g- gaining prominence as an actress. Yeah. Dude, she's gonna be in the next Joker movie. She playing Harley? Yes. Interesting. And she was in A Star Is Born, obviously. And people I know who like. I trust. They said that they've seen a star is born. They're like, yeah, it's it's not one of those deals where it's a musician just doing a stunt thing. She was actually good in the movie. By all accounts, I've heard Barbara Streisand did a great job in a star is born, and people are starting to recognize her as a legitimate actress. Well, so also she was in a movie that uh, came out a couple of years ago called House of Gucci. She was in that. Yes, she was the she was the main woman in House of Gucci. So yeah, she's she's starting to make a name for herself as an actress. And then she was also in two of the American Horror Stories. Okay. Oh, she's, I remember that. She I remember. was in uh, Hotel and Roanoke. Hotel was the one I remember. Yeah. I I remember. I remember. I remember the ads for Hotel when it came out, and they were just plastering Lady Gaga all over it. Like we got Lady Gaga for this. The, the last one I remember was like Creep Show or something. I've not watched any of them. I just remember seeing. I, I, I just remember seeing the yeah. advertisements. I've, I didn't watch the show because, like, I saw American and horror in there, and I saw the word horror and was just like, nah. What? 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 Yes. You you thought yes. you thought. Oh gosh, no! <laughs> you thought it was Tenacious D, but it was I. I. Tenacious D. <laughs> no, you thought it was Tenacious Defense, but it was I. Tenacious Dio! Joe Star! By the way, that was a tribute album, which uh, was pretty freaking awesome. It was a bunch of metal, uh, 80s and uh, 90s and early 2000s metal artists getting together. Okay. And doing um, covers. So, like, Rainbow in the Dark, in my opinion, is Dio's best song. Uh, which they got Corey Taylor from Slipknot in it, which I'm just like, oh yeah. Okay. And then Satchel is, uh, from a weird band. (laughs) So back to your original question so that we can move on to the next topic and try to squeeze them all in. My opinion on James Hetfield appearing in a movie. There's promise. Uh There's promise. It worked out with Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. It's, it seems to have 
I don't. It, I. It didn't. I don't know if it worked out with Beyonce, but it worked out for her. I. I'm just not a fan of Beyonce. It seems to have mostly been. It seems to have mostly worked with Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, and I would say probably. What was the other name? It wasn't a. Oh, Madonna. I've Madonna. And. So like, here's how I would play it. Like. Worked really well with Lady Gaga. Seems to have mostly worked positively yeah. with Justin Timberlake. Hit, hit or miss with Madonna, from what I understand. Most people make fun of Barbara Streisand. And then he got Flea, who I've heard people by... I've heard people say that they don't think Flea's a really good actor at all, but he keeps appearing in, like... Like, literally, Back to the Future, um, The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Um, what were the other... Wild Thornberry. He's a... If you're if you're just going with movies, you got the Big Lebowski, Back to the Future, two yeah. so two of the most iconic movies of all time, and he's just showing up in them. And then Trent Reznor, because you got to reference him. Yeah, hold on. Uh, <laughs> let me go back to his. Let me just make sure I remember because there was one more I didn't want to leave off. So he's in. He was in Back to the Future, obviously. Uh, the Big Lebowski. Psycho. That's Outsiders. Outsiders. Well, he wasn't. He was uncredited in that. Uncredited, but he, yeah, uh, talking about iconic movies, he was in that one. But what was the other one I was thinking? Wild oh, Warburg's. Baby Driver. Oh yes, Baby Driver. Yes. So Baby, like Baby Driver. It's not a super iconic movie, but Edgar Wright's one of the uh, Edgar Wright's one of the best dire- living directors, and Flea worked with him. So Edgar Wright's also uh, Kevin Spacey's in that movie, which I, I, I as honestly, I really like him as an actor uh, for the roles that he plays. I understand he may not be the greatest guy outside of film, uh, but the roles that he's played, I feel like he did a good job. Hold on. Speak, what speaking of what's-his-face... Yeah, Jamie Foxx, man. Told Jamie Foxx was also in it. Yeah, he was... Uh, he was in... Okay, so the heist that goes wrong in Baby Driver and he drives forward into the back of that truck, the guy who dies is Jamie Foxx. Oh, okay. I don't know any of that because I've not seen even a second of the movie. Oh, it's a great movie, dude. I, I it's such a good movie. Well, it's Edgar Wright, so I need to. So I, I need to watch all of Edgar Wright's stuff. I've seen Shaun of the Dead, and I've seen Scott Pilgrim versus. Wait, wait. The let World. me look at all the stuff he's written. So he writes all the stuff he does. So these are all like student films he did. So these aren't the big ones. Shaun of the Dead was his breakout. So he did Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, The World's End, Baby Driver, The Sparks Brothers, and Last Night in Soho. So I haven't seen seven of them. Yeah. So I've but seen... I've seen, obviously, the um, Simon Pegg... Shaun of the Dead? The, no, Simon Pegg movies. The three Simon Pegg movies. Oh, you've seen all of those? Yeah, I've seen them all. I, I know them all. Oh! Dude, that's perfect. I want to watch Hot Fuzz because I've never seen it. I think I have it online. Okay, we need to watch that at some Hot point. Hot Fuzz is pretty funny. Yeah, I've most people I've listened to who are fans of Edgar Wright say that they think Hot Fuzz is the best movie. I think Shaun of the Dead is the best. Well, they usually pick it, narrow it down to either Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. I, I really like Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Scott Pilgrim is one of my favorite movies of all time. Both because of how good it is and because of how influential it has been on my life. Mm-hmm. I get that. But, um... Yeah, I need to watch Hot Fuzz, and I want to watch World's End, but I'm much more interested in Hot Fuzz. We need to World's End was okay. It was, um, it was hit or miss. He was supposed to direct Ant-Man. I don't know about that. 
He was supposed to, and he ended up, uh, he either got fired or he quit because Marvel wouldn't let him, like Marvel tried to box him in, do the Marvel thing where they're like, we make the movie for you and then you say that you made it. And Edgar Wright was like, but I want to make a movie though. But, but a movie. <laughs> yeah, but I, I want to make a movie. And he he got pretty far into the production and people think that's why Ant-Man's got some of the best, better gags. Like, yeah, there's the really good gag where Ant-Man's fighting the villain at the end and they're on that train track. And then it zooms out, and they're on the little toy train track, and the train just, like, topples over because it hit them while they were fighting. Yeah. By the way, as I type in Hot Fuzz, first thing that comes up underneath the top results, Scott Pilgrim. Exactly. Dude, it's a phenomenal movie. <clears throat> so, dude, I, need, I, I have a bad habit of doing that. When I listen back to these and I'm driving the car, gets, like I jump when I like, hear the clap because I'm like, did I just hit something? Yes, you're clapping. But so, by the way, as you're like in the future, you're gonna have an inception moment, exactly right there. Yeah. What's <laughs> by up? By the way, hi, future Henry. What's up, Henry? <laughs> Quit being freaking weird. Hey, eyes on the road. <laughs> don't don't make fun of him. He's autistic. Hey, autist. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up to make sure I'm getting it right. This is Luke. I'm about to tell you the best news you could possibly hear relating to a comic book movie or anything like that. What, not a Marvel movie? Come on, man. This is stupid. I'm about to tell you the best news you could possibly get. What? Aside from the gospel. Aside from the gospel. Is it actually making a good Batman movie that's not going to include trash like Bad Flack? We already got the Batman. They're going to make a new Batman movie that doesn't include Bat Flack. So, so this is the best news you could get aside from the gospel. Okay. Um, it says, uh, television series. An anime series based on the comics was announced to be in development by Universal Content oh. Productions for Netflix on January 7th, 2022 with O'Malley, the writer of the comic, writing and executive producing alongside Ben David Grabinski, Japanese studio Science Saru, providing the animation... Yoon Young Choi serving as producer and Abel Gongora as director. Edgar Wright, the director of the movie. Nia Park, Nira Park, Mark Platt, Jared LaBeouf, Adam Siegel, and Michael Bacall will also be receive executive producer credits for the series. So there is We're a get an anime. there is a TV. There is going to be a TV anime of Scott Pilgrim. The movie adapted six books into one movie. It had to cut a lot out. Sure, there are entire subplots. There's a there is a plot. In the Scott Pilgrim books, by the way, Scott Pil- the Scott Pilgrim books, written by a Korean, uh, Cana- by a Korean Canadian man. This man's Korean. There, I'm, I'm highlighting that because what I'm about to say is there's a subplot in one of the books where you know it's Scott's high school girlfriend, Knives Chow. Yes, she's Chinese. There's a subplot. That's why they had the weird like Asian girl who is kind of odd in this show. Hold on. And then she started having her own little arc. There's a there's a subplot in one of the books. <coughs> where Knives' dad finds out about Scott and tries to kill him because he doesn't want his daughter dating a white dude. That's a subplot that got cut from the movie for time. It's amazing. <laughs> and I wanted to highlight, this was written I, I by a Korean. Funny. This I was written by a Korean. But so, we are going to have a TV series which will assume, presumably adapt all of the books, include everything, which will be written by the original writer and the director of the movie... The beloved movie, the cult classic movie, will also be executive producing. This is going to be the greatest anime ever. 
I'm going to have to change the description on our podcast of anime not being art the second that comes out. <laughs> so we're going to have to make two shirts. Anime is not art, and then anime is not art, except Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. <laughs> Ex- excluding Scott Pilgrim. Excluding Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> but yeah, that's insanely good news. What's slightly less good news... This was announced in January of last year, and there have been no updates since then, which is disturbing and depressing. It's Netflix. They're taking their time with this, obviously, like with, I hope. with everything else. Dude, I hope. Dude, if, dude, if we get arcane level animation for this series, I will. Ah! <laughs> I will. I will do that for like. Bro, bro. Okay, if, ah! if you guys like. <laughs> Bro is tisming so bad right now. Like I swear to you. Like he like he was stimming hard. Like all the tisms. Dude, if you, you don't... know, I was like surprised your hands didn't like start like going up and doing autism hands like you like you're trying to cast freaking spells or anything of that nature. So I'm yes. So Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is on Netflix, at least in America. Literally just look at it. At least in America right now. If you have not watched it before, you should go watch it right Treat now. Treat yourself. It's good. It's very good. So, because we're speaking about an anime here, I feel like this is a really good top way to transition into... Ooh, does it tie to another topic? Yeah, it ties to another topic. Ooh-woo. So, Ooh-woo. this weekend is actually a very important weekend for the anime world. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's, uh, it's March 4th right now, and so this weekend was the release of uh, the, quote, movie of Demon Slayer going into the next arc. I thought you were going to bring up the Attack on Titan. No, no, I was not, I'm not going to bring up Attack on Titan. So what I want to talk about is this. So I, I'm, You realize how stupid anime fans are half the time, right? So I'm listening. I have, I have only, so I've only watched the first season of Demon Slayer. And the Mugen Train movie that was in theaters. Sure. I've watched nothing else, so I'm not going to have a whole lot to contribute. But I am listening. I just need to use the restroom. Okay, so here is the points I'm wanting to reference. So, Demon Slayer had came out, and they had announced um, that, one, they were going to release a movie. And so then they did the whole Mugen Train situation. People were super excited about it. In which then they went and watched Mugen Train. Mugen Train was great. Then, so, um, let's see here. Here is a direct piece of information anybody could look up on the internet, okay? So, it was highly broadcasted after the end of... Of season two, that they were going to be doing another situation where people could go to the movie theaters. I'm gonna wait till Henry gets out of the bathroom for this, but you know that Henry guy's kind of freaking weird, and he's like tisming and everything. I don't understand why. I'm not joking, uh, but yes. So if he would hurry up, I'm tired of him taking his precious time. Mer. Guitar solo. Done. Okay. So, so I know I said I was going to listen, but since you want me to turn on the like air filter thing in there, I didn't actually hear any of that. That's fine. So, originally, what happened in the uh, manga, not manga, in the show was 
you had season one, uh huh, and then you got the Mugen Train arc, uh-huh. which people were very obsessed with the Mugen Train arc. Yeah. Dude, it was it's like the second highest grossing anime film of all time, or exactly. something like that. Well, so then what happened is in the manga, not in the in the anime, season two, they pick up right where they ended in season one, and they did what Dragon Ball Z did, which. So, Which is adapting the movie that they just created into X number of episodes with a little bit of an expounding upon the idea. Yeah, which they, the, I don't know what your point is or what your or what point you're going to be responding to because you're bringing this up. You're bringing up anime fan fandoms being cringe. So, so, I, so before you get to that, I don't know what what point you're going to bring up, what you're responding to. But my immediate thoughts. I've not watched the second season at all, but my immediate thing because I knew this. That is the that is the correct choice to make because like because not everyone is going to realize. So I'm going to use Star Wars as an example. Well, I don't understand where you're going with this. Ad- adapting the film. Oh, okay. The, that into so the TV I'm, t- I'm and, totally going to, with something else. Okay. Well, I'm still going to say this. Yes. Adapting that film into the anime and just yes. retelling it again in the TV form is the correct thing choice to make because not everybody's gonna not everyone's gonna watch the the movie and so they're just gonna miss that and i'm gonna use star wars as an example of the mandalorian i have not watched it mm-hmm. but i keep up with it and i know that season two ended with baby yoda going to train with luke mando's parted ways with him he's accomplished his mission and and mando it has gotten the dark saber so he's like the de facto leader of Mandalore now or something like yes. that. In season three, episode one picks up with Mando and Baby Yoda going to visit Mandalore. And Mando and Mando basically complaining like, Hey guys, I don't want to be exiled anymore. Can you please let me back in? And if anyone here is confused by that leap between season two finale and season three because you didn't watch Boba Fett. It's because there are two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett, a different show entirely, where Mando... Where Baby Yoda returns to Mando, and Mando gets exiled from the Mandalorian people for taking his helmet off. And if you and if you don't watch Book of Boba Fett, by which I mean if you don't suffer through it, if you made the correct decision and didn't choose to suffer through Boba Fett, and then you go to watch Mando Season 3... It's not going to make sense. It literally doesn't make sense. Which is what they avoid in Demon Slayer by retelling the movie in the anime to make sure anyone who didn't watch the movie or didn't even know there was a movie to watch doesn't get left in the dust. Yes. So, here's where I was going with this, okay? So, you had Demon Slayer. They took the movie. They put it into the um, the anime, okay? And so, then, um, you had Season 2 come out. Season 2 literally has one of the greatest anime fights i have ever watched you're wrong it has one of the greatest anime fights i've ever watched that could be any top whatever number i choose could be top 10 20 30 40 you're 50. still wrong it truly is great jodoro versus dio takes the top 100 i'm, I'm still saying all top 100 is jodoro and dio <laughs> but yes okay that's still only one fight it's still that many positions <laughs> What's the next one down? What's the next one down after that? Okay. Let, me, let me think. Let me think. What would be <coughs> next? Oh, I know what it is. It's uh, Goku versus Vegeta. No. <laughs> no. Um, Do that for me. Honestly, dude, 
But so what I'm saying is no. So, uh, real quick, if I can answer that honestly, it would probably be something from like One Punch Man because of how good the. An- like, I haven't watched all of One Punch Man. But just based on animation alone, it would probably be something from One Punch Man. You haven't watched season two of Demon Slayer yet. So. Well, I also know that the, I do know that how good the animation in Demon Slayer is. Exactly. So I'm trying to think. Like, I think you know what I would well, put in. So, my so the top thing is, stuff. Demon Slayer season one fantastic animation sure season two somehow they kick it up a notch hmm. somehow somehow okay i'll take your word for it okay I, I don't really plan on watching it anytime soon it, it was it's great okay so they they stated okay next we're going to the swordsmith art or the swordsmith village okay uh-huh. they announced this hmm. announced okay what we're doing is we're going to Swordsmith Village next. What we're going to do is this. We are going to let you rewatch the last two episodes of season two <coughs> and the first episode of season three in theaters. Instead of having a movie, we're just going to throw episodes at you. Well, that uh, so here's the thing that, and anime fans were like, "Oh man, it's just a cash grab." They were just like, "It just it's just two episodes, and then you got to watch like a new episode. And it was just like a bunch of fluff, and it's just like." So I, you literally got told what it's gonna be, and now you're crying about what it is. Yeah. So here's the thing. I, I I'm of two minds, which is one, the chosen did something similar. For those of you who don't know, the chosen. The chosen um... Christian series. Yeah, The Chosen is a TV series that's currently airing. It's a crowdfunded thing about the life of Jesus. Really good. I need to catch up on season three, but they did a thing where they premiered the first two episodes of season three in theaters, so you could mm-hmm. go watch it like a movie. It was just two episodes playing in theaters. Yeah. So, like, I didn't criticize them when The Chosen did it. I thought it was neat-ish as a, as a gimmick. But for some, but I, I feel the urge to criticize it with Demon Slayer. I guess for no other reason than because maybe, maybe it's the um, the two episodes you've already seen thing being part of it. Because the thing is, though, that's in my opinion, that's where the like one of the top fight scenes occurs. Sure, that's my point. Of it. it's just like, hey, just understand. <laughs> this fight scene you thought was amazing on your television. Now let's go watch it on the big screen. Also, um, so I'm gonna use Attack on Titan as an example. Um, all anime actually they enjoy their clip shows. Yes, um, it's something that American American TV used to do also, but we've sort of stopped doing that. One of the only t- American TV shows I know of that did a clip show, and for those of you who don't know, a clip show is just an episode of a TV season where, where just they just replay clips from previous Sorry. episodes. It's like a recap episode, essentially. Yeah. Um, the only TV show I know of recently that has done that is Transformers Prime. The TV show I'm always... Um, I'm always Ranting and raving about. The one I'm always raving about. They had two clip shows in their second season, and that was purely because... Uh, that show, the CGI budget, it cost a million dollars each episode to produce. And so they did it to save money that season as they produced two clip shows where they could save money a little bit. Because that show, 
Transformers Prime was probably the most expensive thing Hasbro ever did, certainly in the TV format. Because literally, a million dollars per episode, as far as I know, just for the animation. That's not even paying the actors, as far as I know. But, so, it's something that, uh, it's something that frustrated me when I was a child. I remember being really upset with the two Transformers Prime clip shows, because it wasn't more story. It was just filler. It's, it's filler to the nth degree because it's not even like a filler thing where you write a story that you can just insert anywhere in there. It's literally just a recap inserted in. And anime does it a lot. Attack on Titan has released three movies into theaters. No, four movies into theaters, which were just edited, like, compilations of the anime. Oh. So, now to be fair, the first three they released, like, they released one called Attack on Titan Crimson Bow and Arrow, which is the name of the first opening song they had for that season, which is just, it, edit, it edits together episodes 1 through 12-ish into a two-hour format. So ba- basically what they did is they edited everything to sort of make it work as a feature-length film that could okay. run in two hours. So it's not like it's just jarringly cutting between scenes. You know, they edited it and paired it so that it would work sort of like scene changes and it would work as a movie. I've watched it. It works as a movie. They've been at... Hollywood has been trying to get an Attack on Titan live-action movie off the ground for like a decade now. Un- unironically, if they did that, I would... If I was in charge and they were doing that, I would tell them literally just, just, tr- just take the script of the first recap movie that Japan did and just do that. Like yeah. if, if you want to make everyone happy, just do that because that just is just take cr- blood, blood and whatever it's called, a crimson bow and arrow, crimson bow and arrow. Just take that script and just write, translate that into English and give it to your actors. Don't write anything. I would be begging them. Do not write anything. Do because honestly, that would be a good movie. Yeah. And so then they did it again with Attack on Titan, The Wings of Freedom, um, which is the second half of that first season edited into a two-hour movie. That one is not as good, primarily because those episodes don't really work as a single story. It's like sort of two arcs in there. Um, And it's awkward because you've got one arc in there that could work as a movie on its own, and then you got a second arc in there, which which ties directly into that first arc. But it's sort of, it would sort of be like, so, it would sort of be like trying to make a movie, a single movie out of Rogue One, a single two-hour movie out of Rogue One and A New Hope, where those two movies. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Yeah, those two movies, like, they're, they're they're the same basic story of getting the Death Star planes and then destroying the Death Star, but they're two distinct movies at the same time. And the extra thing with that second movie is one of those arcs is long enough to be a movie, and the second one is it. So you wouldn't be able to make a movie out of that second one. So you got to put them together. It just, it, yes, it doesn't work out. Like it that that's where it only works as a serialized either comic or television show. Yes. So then they made another compilation movie of the second season, which was back to working because that was just a single arc, so you could pare it down to two hours. And then they made a movie called Attack on Titan Chronicle after the third season came out, which is a recap. Of all three seasons condensed into one movie. What? 59 episodes of television condensed down into a two hour long clip show. I Doesn't re- work. I've never watched it. Well, the thing is, I don't think they wanted that to work as a story. They just wanted it to be a two hour long clip show. Like you would see on TV, you know just, what I mean? Just like reboot. like Not reboot, but just like, hey, so you don't forget. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's just a two hour long recap that you pay... That you pay to see in theaters, which I would never do because that mm. sounds like a waste of money. 
But so that's that's what I think of Japan. There they do clip shows and stuff like that all the sure. time. Attack on Titan has released four movies in theaters on that premise alone. Sure. So it's a bit more. Um, well, so here's the thing: it, with the Demon Slayer. When, when I was working my way to, I was getting sort of lost in the weeds a little bit. The three episodes in theaters kind of sounds more like the Attack on Titan Chronicle thing, where it's like 59 episodes condensed into one. There's no, there's nothing new you gain out of it. Whereas like the other movies, you sort of get, you don't, you don't get any new content, but you get the new experience of these have been condensed down into a feature length format. So it is kind of like watching a a film adaptation rather than a television adaptation. So what they literally do is so. They literally just showed the episodes as they were. Right, and that's what I mean. Like They didn't change it. Like They still even left the outros in there. Okay. The end credits. And that's where I feel like I my criticism would be, even though I think The Chosen basically did that. With The Chosen, it was new episodes they hadn't aired yet. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I guess, if I was going to pick at Demon Slayer and not The Chosen, I'd pick at the fact that these are episodes they've already released. So, it's so like, they've only done... The, of the three that were released, they yeah. did the last two... Which were each 20 minutes a piece. Yeah. So, like, even with credits running and everything, you're running at 50 minutes for that. And then the third... And then the third episode was an hour long. Oh. I did not know that. Yes. So, I think they should have just... So, what they did was they did a recap. Then they gave you an hour of content. So, what... And what happened is... People were like, oh, don't go watch it. It's just a cash grab. Plus, they left in, like, the credit rolls, and they were told, you can go watch the last two episodes of the show and the first new episode, which is going to be an hour long well, so here's the in thing. theaters. I, I wouldn't call that a cash grab. That's what people are saying on IMDb. But I would criticize it in a similar lane to the way they are mm-hmm. by saying like you leave the you even leave the credits in it's like that yeah, there are some that did say they left the credits in that's why i'm giving it a lower score that to me feels lazy you could have edited it so here's what i would have done is i just would have just done the mugen train thing again i would have probably if the first episode's an hour then i would have tacked a third episode onto there to make it an hour and a half feature length movie, put it in theaters, everyone's happy. Sure. But if you're going to put those first two episodes in as recap, edit them. Edit them to where they're one concise episode in itself. Or edit or staple them onto that other hour long bit and just make them run together so that you've got a two hour sure. experience. But when you say those two episodes are in there, like openings and endings and all, I'm just like, dude. You could have put you could have put more effort into sure. this. This I don't but, know but, if I, but, I don't know. I, I'll clarify. I don't know if I would call it a cash grab, but it's like you could have put effort in. This doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of the, effort. The thing I saw is like okay, I I understand that, and my thing is this though. They told us what it's gonna be. Sure. Quit your bickering. If you paid for what you were told you're gonna get. Yeah, I guess if they already paid for it. Uh, yeah. See. I, that, I, that's I, my thing. It's like, I feel like I'm you the, were clearly told what this is going to sure. be. I feel like I'm in the best situation right now because I'm not paid for it, and so I've got exactly. no, I got no dog in the, I've got no dog in the fight. I'm so not paid for it either. Yeah, so it's just like you describe the situation to me. I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty lazy, and then I just move on. <laughs> yeah, but for my thing is like I, I don't understand why you're told this. Here's the clear details. Sure. Every announcement leading up to this, there's been video announcements. 
you're going to be able to get to watch the last two episodes of season two. <laughs> and then the first episode of season three, which is going to be an hour long. <laughs> all of these updates said this. Get hype. All, all you anime fans, get hype. And yet then they go to the theaters and they're like, Boo! Boo! We were just watching episodes! I can't believe it was episodes! Why wasn't it a movie? Mirror! Mirror! So, I was just like, you idiot! So if I can bring it back to Muddy Waters for half a second. Okay. I know this doesn't make sense, but you've listened to Manish Boy, right? No. Oh, so I'm gonna, I need to show it to you after because it's actually yes. really good. But there's a, so... Uh, you've probably actually heard it. It's a really famous song. Yeah, probably. When yeah. I listened to it for the first time, I was like, oh, I know this song. But so in the 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 chorus, so what they're doing is like they got the music playing. And, what, and the chorus is just Muddy Waters sort of scatting, essentially. Yes. Not to that extent, but yes. like he's got he's lyrics. Scatting. He's got lyrics. From the, the lyrics, he just repeats over and over again. I'm a man. He sings it in different ways. And then sometimes he'll add like, I'm a hoochie coochie man. Stuff like that. I think that. I know what that is. I think so, I've probably heard it. But what I like in the recording is he's he's at the mic. So like he's up, he would be up at the mic like this. So he's like, I'm a man. And every time he says I'm a man, you can hear someone in the back of the studio. Like it's still in that room. You can hear him go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he goes, I'm a man. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> and I just imagine as you were doing that, I just go. I just imagine you're, you're the hype man in the back of the room. <laughs> yeah, so do that again, where they talk about the movie and stuff. All right, everybody, we're gonna let you watch the last two episodes of season yeah! two, and then we're gonna give you the first episode Woo! of season three, which is an hour long. Yeah. <laughs> And then they're all sad. <laughs> but that's that's the chorus of the Muddy Water song. Is I'm a man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like it legit, it does not sound like he rec- like it was someone recorded at a mic recording backup lyrics. It sounds like Muddy Waters was standing at the mic, and then another guy was in the back. <laughs> was standing in the same room without a mic, just yelling <laughs> in his direction, yeah. yeah! <laughs> so. Uh, that's my thing, like, with this whole thing about Demon Slayer. I'm just, like, upset that people are upset. Because sure. I'm like, you were told clearly, are you, st- well, why am I even asking the question, are you stupid? <laughs> it's evident at this point. But like, I, I did see one person. They, they watch anime. There's no hope. <laughs> no, I was just thinking as America as a whole. Look at us. We're just, like, degrading on a on a astronomical level. Yeah, but we, we, I tell you what. But Twitter. I tell, but we got Twitter. I we got you, Instagram. Yeah, I tell you what, we can still kick Britain up and down the West Coast. Up and down the Western Hemisphere. But, don't ask, don't tell got revoked, so, I mean. Did it? Yeah. I didn't know that. So, so the don't ask, don't tell thing is to basically, you don't ask if someone's gay and they don't have to tell you. What yeah. If that gets revoked, is it... Is is the if that is that getting then, revoked? What that means now is this. And so no, is the, is that getting revoked? But just basically ask everyone and make it evident <laughs> that you're gay. Well, the, 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 don't ask, don't tell. The premise of it was please ask. No, uh, no, no, no. Please ask and do tell. <laughs> That's essentially now. Uh, but don't ask, don't tell was essentially anybody that was presumed to be a a. Um, 
of a homosexual nature yeah. could be targeted or anything of that nature. Where it means it has been revoked, now they have special privileges. Special privileges? Yes, they, they're counted as equals. Special so, privileges. Wait, so... <laughs> they're, they're treated just like any other soldier. Quote. <laughs> You're treated like any other, other soldier, and that that's a special privilege? Sarcasm. <laughs> I know, but is that how they put it? No, no. Oh, okay. I was just... I was just uh, being sarcastic right there. No, I, I'm fine with you being sarcastic, but like, I can't tell the difference between, and it's not because I'm autistic. It's just my sarcasm's twisted. No, it's because like, I, I, it's that idea where you're like, you can't tell the difference between parody and reality because reality's so ridiculous. Like, like Florida man. Yeah, like, <laughs> like when, like when you, like, like, it should be parody. The idea that people are upset that Tennessee's passing legislature that like. That you can't, that minors can no longer get transgender surgery without their uh, parents' permission or something like that. Tennessee's passing legislature saying that it's no longer, it's, it, or we, we're about to pass legislature outlawing like transgender surgery for children who are underage or something like, something to that effect. Sure. It should be a parody. It should be like a parody. It should be that, a, That's like a parody thing. It's just like, that would never happen in a real no, world it, situation, it, even though it actually is happening. No, what in I'm a saying is, world. it should be a South Park premise that people are upset about something like that, but it's not. It's actually a real world thing that people are upset that t- Tennessee is passing, is trying to pass laws saying one, you can't have drag shows in public because obviously, Amen. because thank God. And by the way, like, no drag shows in public. I. If we're not gonna let women stri- like bring stripper poles out and out onto like the street and stri- or men and or st- men, we gotta be equal. Well, no, what I'm saying is if we're not gonna if be, we're not allowed stripper stripper poles in public with the strippers of whoever, whichever gender that they associate with doing the job. I don't think drag queens, as you were saying, yeah, well, what I'm should be like, allowed to do the same thing. If we if we can all agree that women shouldn't be allowed to strip in public. Then we sh- or that like public urination. If we can all agree that public urination isn't okay, like exposing yourself in any way, that that's not okay. That stripping in public isn't okay. You got to do that in a con- in a strip club mm-hmm. out where it's not out in public. If we can all agree on stuff like that, then it should be easy to agree that like drag shows where they are do where they are stripping a lot of the times. Here we here. should be able to agree that like that here. I think I have something. And by the way, by the way, by the way, drag shows are not being banned in Tennessee. You just can't do them in public is going to be the law that they're trying to pass. And my thing is this, like, here's something that's even closer connected. Mm -hmm. Prostitution is illegal. Sure. Drag shows in public are illegal. Mm -hmm. Both are basically doing the same thing. I don't know if I'd go that far, but they're both flaunting a product, which is a human. Yeah. But, uh, set... Ostens- One is a private show, the other is public show. Well, ostensibly, ostensibly, sex is not involved in drag shows. Sure. So there is a difference there. Um, but I, I use this example. But you still got to pay for it. Probably. Do you have to pay to go to drag shows? I now? have no idea. Why are you asking me? <laughs> because you just seem like the guy who would know. I do have random weird knowledge. I don't have that random weird knowledge. Yeah, I I have. Ran- I'm not that way. <laughs> I have random weird knowledge, but it but it 
It, but it stops at drag. No, I was gonna say I have random weird knowledge, but it tops. But the weirdness level of my knowledge tops out at George Lucas having a Jar Jar body pillow. <laughs> <laughs> that is that he sleeps with every night. Yeah, that is that is the ceiling for my weirdness level <laughs> in terms of knowledge. We start, but the thing is, this is all about like fictional characters. <laughs> mm, Jar Jar. The- <laughs> 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 wait, wait! As he's getting oh, ready, to, as he's getting ready Jar- to go to sleep every night. Oh, Jar Jar, they- gonna be okay. <laughs> Jar Jar, they were wrong about you. You are the key to everything. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like now Jar Jar is gonna be our sequel trilogy. <laughs> He's gonna come back in every single episode. I, I would prefer as he should. I would prefer to him him to come back over the sequels because at least I have fun True. <laughs> discussing Jar Jar. So I just get sad when I talk about the sequels. Yeah, obviously we all do. Or upset, except for the stupid people. Anyway, was that three topics or do we have no, one that's more? Two. Okay, let's do the third. The one. The final topic I wanted to try and discuss tonight was: Have you heard anything about? What Warner Brothers is planning on doing with revamping Lord of the Rings. I have heard about that. Yes. So, Warner Brothers... That was a weird way of saying, I have heard about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm ramping up, thinking about what I'm going to say. So, for, the, for anyone who might not know, um, Warner Brothers announced in the last week... It's not the even, last week. Yeah, it's not even been a week... That they are going to be making a new trilogy of films set in the Lord of the Rings universe. Mind and you, I've I've seen it's going to be around the Middle Earth style stuff. Well, I've, I've like seen Rings of Power ish. So I've seen debate about that because it's not clear what they have the rights to. Sure. Like Amazon doesn't have the rights to adapt any any of the Lord of the Rings stuff. They call it Lord of the Rings, but they don't have actually have the rights to the books mm-hmm. for the Silmarillion, which is why they just got to make everything up. But, so the two things I will say, I have seen two reactions from this. The first reaction I've seen is everyone being like, oh no, oh no. What? Keep, keep going. What? I was just like, man, we were recording for four hours. Oh, I thought there was a problem with the level or something like no, that. No, we've been recording for four hours. Yeah, this is gonna, definitely going to be a double episode. Yes. Um, so... I, the first reaction I've seen is people go, oh no, first rings of power, now this, no, no! <laughs> the second reaction I've seen is people laughing like, dude, at the fact that Amazon has basically just dunked on Amazon, because we just came out of everyone hating Amazon's rings of power, and... Not only did Warner Brothers come out and announce that they're doing new Lord of the Rings stuff right after Amazon's massive just tank in the public eye because of their Rings of Power series, mm-hmm. they also were sh- made sure to announce Peter Jackson's going to be involved. Mm-hmm. Why did they announce that? Because now, there now was... Now, mind you, it's because, Warner Brothers, but Amazon's not connected, if I understand. No, they're right. not. No, that, that, that's why... That's people, good. Yeah, that's why people are saying they're dumb. This is obviously them capitalizing on Amazon... Banking. Messing everything up, obviously. Yeah, this is them capitalizing they're, on that. They're screw-up. And this is also them capitalizing on the fact that Amazon made a point. Amazon made it clear that Peter Jackson was not involved in Rings of Power. In fact, it... So le- now Peter Jackson's just going to be like, 
Watch this layup, boys. Oh. Well, it, it leaked it. It actually, I don't know if it was leaked or announced, but either way, there was a leak or an announcement or it was acknowledged somewhere that Peter Jackson wanted to be involved with Rings of Power. He made himself available. He was talking to people who were working on the show. And then, and there, then they just like, were not, no. They ghosted him. There were some shakeups, like some people left the production and then they ghosted Peter Jackson and never actually consulted him. And so, and so that's, which honestly is like stupid. And so that, yeah, so that came out. And then Warner Brothers makes this announcement, and they make sure to say, we're making new Lord of the Rings movies with Peter Jackson involved. With the Peter Jackson. Why, why do we feel the need to clarify that Peter Jackson's involved? Huh? No. Because Amazon didn't do it. No, it's like, huh, no reason. No reason. We, Amazon, they're doing great. They're doing great. We got no problems with Amazon. Wink, wink. And, and we've got, there's absolutely no reason that we made it clear that... Peter Jackson is involved. There's absolutely no reason that we're making that clear. And you definitely should not think that we announced this because he wasn't involved with the Amazon series. There's no, con- there's no connection between any of that. We, this has nothing to do with the fact that Peter Jackson is involved. <laughs> and uh, so now... Luke? Now, what I think may actually end up happening is... I think they may end up trying to do this in Marillion now. If if they have the rights to it, I could see that, but I don't know if they do. It's Peter Jackson. I guarantee you Peter Jackson can't acquire their rights. I I wouldn't I wouldn't dude, I wouldn't hold your breath. Like dude, the, if you do even a little bit of research into the film rights for Lord of the Rings and all of the political like political maneuvering that studios do around that, it's insane. It's like the maze from the fourth Harry Potter movie. It's a nightmare. Oh. Not aware of that. Like, he actually... He tried to get the rights to the Silmarillion for the Hobbit movies, I think, because he wanted to include characters from the Silmarillion in the Hobbit, mm-hmm. and he couldn't get the rights to them. Interesting. And so... And there was actually a big... Con- is it, is, what is it like? One studio will have these rights. One studio will have these yeah, rights. Yeah, so Amazon has the rights to the Lord of the Rings books. Am- not Amazon, sorry. Warner Brothers has the right to the Lord of the Rings books and the Hobbit book. Amazon has the rights to the appendices of the Lord of the Rings books. So the the things at the end, which tell you the history of Middle Earth, they have the rights to adapt that, but not the actual story of Lord of the Rings, which is why they adapted, uh, which is why their adaptation has a bunch of stuff from the Lord of the Rings lore, but none of the actual events from the Silmarillion or anything like that. And I don't know. Now, question: And are you a ton? Like, are you a huge LOTR nerd? I I know a lot about. I've read the Hobbits. I've read the Lord of the Rings. Wh- like, what is the name of the big bad guy who came before Sauron? Um, Starts with an M. Morgoth. Morgoth. I okay. think that's all I wanted to know. I think they have rights to him. I think everyone has rights to him because I think he's mentioned in every um, Middle Earth story. So I think anyone can do anything they want with Morgoth, or they can have him appear. But um, so Amaz, sorry, Warner Brothers has the rights to the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, and I think they also have rights to the appendices because those are part of the Lord of the Ring books. And I think they have the rights to a couple of other stuff because they've been talking. Warner Brothers is going to release an animated movie this year, I think, called War of the Rohirrim, which is yes, a, yeah, which is a, a it's going to be an animated movie. Yeah, a war that um got. That Rohirrim. 
Yeah, so they have the rights to the main books and a couple of other things, but as far as I know, they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion, and they've tried to get them in the past and haven't been able to get them. Amazon has the rights to the appendices of the Lord of the Rings books, which is why they can't which is why they literally can't, are not legally allowed to touch 99% of the things in Lord of the Rings. I don't even think they're legally allowed to put Gandalf in their um But series. they're able to put the blue wizards in there. Maybe. Because the blue wizards are mentioned, if I remember correctly. Well, here's the funny thing. I was actually going to mention in The Hobbit, um, Radagast the Brown. Yes. The uh, hippie wizard or whatever. Yes, Radagast. He mentions the blue wizards. Like, he mentions them, and... Warner Brothers almost got sued by the people who own the rights to the Silmarillion because the Blue Wizards are only mentioned in the Silmarillion. And so, yeah, Peter Jackson almost got Warner Brothers sued for putting the Blue... For just mentioning the, the Blue, Blue Wizards. Just mentioning them by the title, the Blue Wizards. Just that alone almost lost Amazon millions of dollars in a lawsuit. <laughs> Which, yeah, the... the Wait, the, Amazon did The Hobbit? Sorry, no. Warner I keep Brothers. Warner Brothers, yeah. Okay. That alone almost lost Warner Brothers like millions of dollars in lawsuits because they didn't have the rights to which goes to show the the film rights to the to the Middle Earth universe are so weird. So, so weird. weird. Like Warner Brothers can only Warner well Warner Brothers has the most profitable parts of it, I guess, cuz The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are the ones everyone knows. They're the ones with actual movies. Yeah. Someone out there's holding someone out there is holding this Silmarillion tied to their chest and not giving it up. And then Amazon's over here like, hey, we got like four pages of the Lord of the Rings. We got we we got the bullet point history from the back of the book. Yeah. We got yeah, he meant, we got We've the, got the bullet point history from the back of the book scene. Yeah, he we, got, we we can tell you the entire history of Middle Earth. It's like, can you include Gandalf or anyone important? And their response is, stop. Who? And their response is, stop talking. <laughs> Don't ask questions. <laughs> Just consume product. Rings of power. Rings of power. <laughs> tism, tism, tism. Yeah. Rings of power. But, uh, so now I got a pitch for you. Sure. I don't know what they can make these movies. I don't know what they could adapt these movies from. I don't know what they're planning to do. Lots of people seem to think they're going to do original stories. So I I I'd seen some people where they're gonna try and redo the movie. The so first here's three movies. Here's the thing. I that seems like it makes the most sense to me, but obviously in the current state that Hollywood's in, that's a terrifying idea for anyone who loves Lord of the Rings. What to redo the first three movies? Yeah, because yeah. So that even closely like runs into another thing I saw earlier in the week. Remember Barney the dinosaur? Yeah. They've redone Barney the Dinosaur. I'm glad I don't feel any attachment to him. Well, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So you remember how Barney the Dinosaur used to look? Yeah. Looked it's like atrocious. A, looked like a dude in a costume. Sorry for the dead air, everyone. I gotta wait yeah. for Luke to look this up. I feel like this would have been quicker to look up on the... But here you go. Oh, it's CGI. Oh... Uh, like it's that's like that's like so did you watch Ben 10 growing up yeah I did a little bit that's like the Ben 10 reboot that came out recently oh I didn't see that yeah this one well, it, for me it's like Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go oh this is the one I saw so yeah this oh uh, yeah. 
That's an ah moment right yeah, there. Yeah, the thing is, I can't even work up the energy to have that reaction. I just, I remember, I remember seeing the promotional, this, this exact promotional poster for that in high school. And I remember just being so disappointed, like, that's what Ben 10 is now? Yeah. Here you go. Oh, gosh. It, it looks so cheap. It's clunky as can be. Dude, it looks so cheap. Oh, gosh. They, look, look, that there. Yeah. They Okay, they literally took Avatar The Last Airbender quality animation and turned it into Gravity Falls quality animation. Dude, hold on. So, they kept... So, they kept the original voice of Ben as Ben, but they recast Ashley Johnson as Gwen. Yep. And I need to check. Was David Kay always... Oh, he wasn't. Uh, so, I'm conflicted about that. It's bad. No, I'm conflicted about that because um, if they kept Tara Strong I w as Ben, I would have liked them to keep all the main cast, you know? Um... So they didn't keep Paul Eiding as uh, Grandpa Max, but they replaced him with David Kay. And David Kay is the voice of Megatron in Beast Wars, which means I'm obligated to like him. Yes. You could say, you could say you're... Oh, oh, like, oh a treacherous underhanded... You're, you're okay with David Kay as a grandfather figure. You're not okay with the casting direction choice i'm not okay with re because of recasting someone who is already in an established universe yeah i'm not a fan of like recasting some people but not everyone yes so like if you're gonna keep if you're gonna keep tara strong you have to keep ashley you have to keep the original guy yeah and 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 by Max. the and by the way my, the the ideal for this is not well the ideal for this is not okay then we'll replace tara strong too the ideal scenario is, is don't replace anyone yeah um, but, so, like, man, I'm obligated to like David K though. Oh, a treacherous, underhanded move. Oh, I, know. I like you, pussycat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a line from Beast Wars. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Isn't he a T-Rex or whatever? Yeah, he's the T-Rex. Oh, he's the T-Rex. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh, by the way. Oh, I like you, pussycat. Because he's talking to Cheetor. The yes. Cheetah. I like you. Cheetor was great. I the freaking Hasbro toy yes. was a pain in the neck to transform. I remember that. Yeah, dude, uh, so, you know what's actually funny? David Kay's voice actor said that the way he came up with the Megatron voice is he said he combined Sean Connery with a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> it makes total, total sense. Oh. <laughs> oh, I like you, pussycat. <laughs> yes. That's Sean Connery crossing the wizard. <laughs> oh, I'm crying. Oh my gosh, I'm crying. Uh. <coughs> There's also so Beast Wars was so beloved. Yes, like the like the cast members. <laughs> Gary Chalk, the voice of Optimus Primal, and David Kay still sure. make like seasonal greeting cards that they sent. They like post on YouTube and stuff like that in their Beast Wars voices. And apparently there was a, a there is a Transformers convention called BotCon that goes on every year. Okay. Um, it's like Comic Con, but just Transformers, and it's entirely fan run. So it's like that goes to show like the staying power of Transformers. The fans, it, the fans put the fans on solely run this sucker. The and they put on a 
Comic-Con size convention that hundreds of people go to every year. And like pe- like voice actors go and guest there. I think Peter Cullen has been a guest at BotCon before, stuff like that. Ooh. But so David Kay was a guest there once and they got because there's a running ga- there's a visual gag. Oh, I like you. There's a visual there's a visual <laughs> gag in uh Transformers Beast Wars where you'll notice in the background of some scenes that Megatron has a rubber ducky that he keeps in his room. <laughs> There's just a rubber duck in this room. There's a random rubber duck? Yeah. And um, I think there's actually a scene of Megatron in like a hot tub or something like that. Is there like an oil bath or something? He's got the rubber ducky with him and he's like squeezing it. <laughs> something like that. And someone at a BotCon convention brought David Kay like a rubber ducky or something as a gift. <laughs> and they convinced him to sing the rubber ducky song in his rubber Megatron. Rubber ducky, you're his... the one. Yeah, and there was Megatron voice who goes, Rubber ducky, you're the one. <laughs> and it, there's, I think there's video of David K singing it in the Megatron voice. Oh my god. I gotta look up BotCon now. It's established in 94. Yeah, it's been going on forever. My gosh. Dude, like, dude, like, it's so big that there are, Hasbro will, Hasbro will send them BotCon exclusive figures that they can give out at BotCon. That's ridiculous. And let me see. Uh, tfwiki.net. Well, if you want, BotCon's in Nashville. Uh, <laughs> wait, ah! this year? It was last year, but that was in August last year, so they haven't announced BotCon yet this year. Oh, dude, if it's nearby, we should go. I mean, you can go. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not making that <laughs> no, drive by myself. No, it's we can go. Yeah, it's we, comrade. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, see if I can find... the history here we are uh guests so rick alvarez and aaron archer are like hasbro employees who have designed a bunch of stuff they've had them michael bay's been a guest at botcon what yeah but michael bay went to... peter cullen has been in there so. yeah peter cullen's been a guest michael oh, bell i may have spit on you i didn't feel spit um but michael bell he was the voice of a bunch of characters he's the original voice of sideswipe in the 80s he's been there okay uh, Susan Blue, she was the original voice of RC, and she was actually the casting director in the eight, oh. and the voice director on Beast Wars and on part of Transformers Prime. Yeah, Tara Strong was in. Uh, Tara Strong was the voice of RC in Transformers Animated, Oops. so she's been in, in. But a lot of these are names you're not going to know. Dan Gilvison, the original voice of Bumblebee. Greg Lombardo. Do you know who that is? It sounds so familiar. Uh, where is that? L. Greg Lombardo. Now he's just a he's just a marketing executive at Hasbro. I don't know why his name sounded familiar then. Uh, Bob Budiansky, dude. Bob Budiansky. What a name. So Bob Budiansky was a Marvel writer. Okay. He worked at Marvel in the eighties when Marvel published the Transformers comic books. Oh, okay. And so what's interesting about Bob Budiansky is he named most of the characters in the first season of Transformers. So Optimus Prime... Let, let me double check. They all got their names essentially from... from Bob Budiansky. Let me see if I can find it. Including several names. Yeah, including several names. So from the first 28. So, though Optimus Prime was named by O'Neill, a different guy, Bob Budiansky is responsible for the names of Megatron, all the of the... Dinobots, so, Sideswipe, Wheeljack, and countless others. So... The important thing there would be like Megatron and Grimlock is one Grimlock's one the leader of the Dinobots. Yes. Two of the most famous 
char- Transformers characters, both named by him. And then one of your favorites, Wheeljack. I wouldn't say he's my favorite. I'm just really upset. One. I'm just. One. A, I'm upset. I'm. It's not so much I'm a. He's one of my favorites as I'm just upset by his design in the new movie. Yeah. Why is Wheeljack a hippie? That yeah, he's not a hippie. He's a nerd. Well, he looks like a hippie because he's a freaking Volkswagen bus. Oh, have I not shown you the? They they showed his, a toy of his robot mode. Have I not? Shown yeah, you that? he showed me that. Jack. Because yeah, the bus looks like a hippie thing. But dude, the, his freaking face, yeah, Poindexter all the way. I I can't stand it. The glasses is what made me also want to say hippie. And also, suspenders built into his robot. Uh, yeah, I don't know what. Wait, they were wait, 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 about wait. That where's design. his pocket protector? I, I, I don't. I can't even hazard a guess. But so, so he named a bunch of the characters, and so he named a bunch of them, and he wrote the. You know how the Transformers packages always had bios on the back with describe yeah, their yeah. personalities? He wrote the personalities for, like, every... Not exaggerating, basically every single character that Hasbro released for, like, the first four years of the franchise's history. Wow. So Optimus's personality, Megatron, all of them owe their personalities to Bob Budiansky. So, and by the way, Bob Budiansky, he wrote... So he was the editor on the first four issues of the comic, and then he himself wrote... Almost every issue of the comic from issue 5 to issue 55, outside of a few issues in between. He never once touched the TV show that was coming out at the same time. He never touched a single episode of it. But all of the characters in that show, they are based on the personalities he wrote. Wait, wait. He, in... It was in the early years, it looks like, um... Around the four-issue miniseries that he developed, popular characters Shockwave, Ratchet, Ratchet Grimlock. and Grimlock. Yeah. So like Shockwave, I know you really like Shockwave. And uh, the only characters at this time in the '80s that he didn't create, that he did not create, were the mo- were the ones that appeared in the movie. So the animated movie. Yeah. So he created Optimus Prime, Megatron, Bumblebee, Wheeljack, Sideswipe, Grimlock, Slag, Sludge, Thundercracker, Skywarp, Shockwave, Soundwave, Rumble, Frenzy. I could go on forever. Just that first year, they released 18 different Autobot toys and 10 Decepticon toys. That's 28 characters in one year that he created all the names. He created all the names for. Yeah. Not all the names, but all the personalities yeah. he created the personalities for. And that's just in the first year. And it says here, um, Budiansky continued to write, even after he left the, the did stopped writing the individual issues, he continued to write the bios and name the characters until at least the end of his tenure on the Marvel book. Oh, so that would be up to issue 55 then. Sure. Uh, working off pictures of the toys and what they could do with names based on whatever the hell he'd just read or seen or heard about that week. Literally, that's what it was quoted as saying, wow. So... Bob Budiansky, he only wrote... He, oh, he even, like, knew, knew, when new concepts of headmasters or pretenders were created by Hasbro, he would be given the job of working out story treatment for them and adding them to the mythos. Yeah, so, and actually... So, actually, he was, like, ahead of a lot of this stuff. So, so actually, the reason that um, people think he left the comic in issue 55 is because of burnout because like the trans the headmasters there was a four issue miniseries that introduced them before they were put in the main transformers comic sure and i think i'm actually gonna double check this uh the headmasters we've taken such a detour with this one 
<laughs> I'm aware of that. But it's Transformer, so I'm enjoying it. That's not what I'm. That's not what I want. Let me go back to Bob Budiansky. Actually, should be under his um, universe. The movie Headmasters miniseries. There it is. So, series artist Frank. I'm reading the trivia for the Headmasters miniseries. Series artist Frank Springer had the unenviable task of drawing 62 new characters in the series. This is four issue series. Oh, 62 new characters. Yeah, they had to, because of all the different toys that were released that year <coughs> under the Headmasters subcategory, yeah. 62 new characters in the series, with 74 character models between them and factoring in transformations, that's 132 pieces of reference art to juggle. There were times when a character was accidentally il illustrated looking like someone else, which was perfectly understandable. Slightly less understandable was why Fortress Maximus, the starring character, would change head designs between panels on the same page. The recreational use of Benadryl has not been ruled out. Transformers. <laughs> Transform the recreational use of Benadryl, a sleeping allergy agent. Yeah. So Transformers Wiki has a policy that you can insert humor into the into the uh, into the entries if you want, so long as it doesn't actually hurt the information that you're providing. Oh, so like literally that that's just like a joke there that's not got anything to do with history. Yeah. They just put a joke in about them taking Benadryl and that being why the art is super weird. Oh, okay. <laughs> um but so they're just tired. <laughs> but so people believe the reason Bob B Budiansky got left the series because of burnout because of like the four issue Transformers Headmaster series he wrote. He added 132 pieces of uh, art references. Well he wasn't doing the art he was just the writer so. I mean just that and then just it also that. says that he was the writer of the main Transformers book also penned Headmaster. Yeah so he was simultaneously writing this series which introduced 62 new characters that he had to write personalities for and introduce while he was also writing the main series, which was also introducing other new characters in there. Mm -hmm. And people believed that it was just a, a, a burnout because there was, I think I remember like there were times where like each, there was a section of Transformers history where the comic was introducing like a dozen new characters each issue. Because it was just getting so unruly with the amount of toys that they had to advertise. And that's what I consider, I've read all of that comic series, that original 80s one. I consider that kind of the dark age where from, like, issue 40 to 55, nothing that happens in those issues is consequential at all because it's just filler to introduce new characters, essentially. Okay. Um, with a couple of stuff sprinkled in there. But so then, so that all that to say, Bob Udiansky, possibly the most influential creative voice in Transformers in history, because he wrote Optimus Prime's personality, he named and made the personality for Megatron, he made the personality for all of these characters personalities that have endured into series and TV shows and comics oh, yeah. that he has not touched and probably hasn't even read. And I wonder what the royalties look like for that guy. And certainly does not care about. I'm going to look right now. That may be on here somewhere. Um, <clears throat> Just type in at the top uh, in the Google search. Just Bob Budiansky for royalties. Budiansky. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get any because Marvel is pretty good about finding ways to not pay royalties to their creatives. Oh, wait. And there might be a quote about it. So I think this will be a good... Um, Uh, I think for a very long time, people thought very negatively of your run of the book. That is very true. Sure. There's an issue. 
there's an issue that they mentioned right here called Buster Witwicky and the Car Wash of Doom, where the Decepticons create a car wash that brainwashes humans to bring them fuel to power them. And Buster Witwicky, the main human ally, has to take down the car wash by himself. And that's the one people usually point to as like, yeah, that's freaking ridiculous. And Bob Budiansky wrote that one. At the same time, though, he wrote some of the most embarrassing issues of the Marvel comic book. But at the same time, Optimus Prime. Literally his personality. Megatron. Yeah. Grimlock. Their personalities all came from Bob Budiansky. Shockwave. Bob, Ratchet. Yeah, Bob Budiansky has not touched a single Transformers thing since issue 55 of the 80s comic that came out 30 years ago. And yet still, his fingerprints are all over everything. Because if Optimus Prime... If, said, you, if you say the word Transformers, your immediate thought should be Bob Budiansky. And via... Optimus Prime, yeah. or Megatron, well, I was or Shockwave, or the or 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 because he created so many characters. Yeah, so here's an example. One of uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna this I'm gonna use this as an excuse to do my Megatron impression. A scene in Transformers Prime where uh, where Megatron is waiting for RC to ambush RC so that he can kill her. He goes, "Come, RC, that I might end the lineage of the Primes once and for all," and then. Optimus walks through, walks in and he goes, I cannot allow you to do that, Megatron. Right there. Bob Budiansky never touched the script of that episode, but because Optimus said the name Megatron, Bob Budiansky's fingerprints are on it anyway. Because yeah. he named Megatron. Anytime Optimus Prime says, freedom is the right of all sentient beings, Bob Budiansky wrote that line. His fingerprints are all over it. Yeah. But anyway, so it says, his response... Uh, they don't remember the dozens of other great issues you wrote. True enough. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any feelings or comments on that? This is Bob Budiansky. I really don't care. I've moved on. My life doesn't depend on what people think of me in Transformers. I got paid for it. I got royalties from it. I got paid by Hasbro for writing product copy and, cop and coming up with names. Transformers has been very, very good to me. So years ago, when the internet started blossoming and I did a search for my name, it came up with all these Transformers websites. I looked and thought... They hate me out there. Wow, who knew? I had no clue. You know, I wrote Transformers for a bunch of kids. Now there were now there were adults who had these real strong opinions about me, and frankly, my feeling was, get a life. I wrote this for kids. I wrote these for 8 to 10-year-olds back when I was writing them. You're not my audience, so I'm sorry, but I don't really care. I don't really care uh, how I come across to anybody. I don't mind talking about it. I'm not ashamed. I feel proud that I stuck it out for 50 issues or so, but it was a job. Wait. In fact, last year I did an interview with some Transformers website. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's around anymore. But I, 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 I like his... Like, he's like, I got paid, I got royalties, I'm good. Yeah, I got royalties. They treated me great. Yeah, they treated <laughs> me great, which... um, I like this. So it shows Bob Budiansky. Not actually Kirk Cameron, you could tell. <laughs> because he writes about Earth being millions of years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I enjoy it. And I think there's another thing. I, oh, oh my god! I guess not. It's not there. But I remember reading somewhere. But he basically, I think he does say that he does still get royalties from it. But I assume it's probably not much. But um, and so then, after Simon Furman, I mean after Bob Budiansky came Simon Furman, who took over the ish, who took over the UK com, I mean the US comics mm -hmm. from issue fifty six. He wrote it all the way to the end of their run, which was issue eighty. So Simon Furman wrote issues 56 through 80 of the original 80 series. And then Simon Furman 
wrote a sequel to that, which was also published by Marvel, called Transformers Generation 2, which ran for 12 issues. Then that got canceled. Then Simon Furman got hired to write the last two episodes of Beast Wars, so you have actually had the privilege of of watching Simon Furman written Transformers stuff. He wrote the final two episodes of Beast Wars. Then after that, he wrote the first, like, 50 issues of the IDW Transformers comics. IDW. Comic Company. Okay. He wrote the first 50-ish issues of the IDW comics. And so, right after Bob Budiansky... Oh, aside from all that, Marvel, uh, in the 80s, published one issue of a comic book per month. Marvel UK, which is where Simon Furman lives, he's a, he's a Brit, mm-hmm. they publish... Um, weekly i believe or something like that so what they do is is any american comics that get published per month they will split that into two and publish into two halves and publish one half each week and then those other two weeks they'll publish two original stories okay so the marvel u.s series ran for 80 issues roughly the marvel uk series including all of the stuff all of the issues from the u.s which one issue of the U.S. comic is two issues uh, is two issues of the U.K. comic, right? Mm-hmm. So, including that would be 160 issues. Sure. 80 issues split into two, so 160 issues, including those. The U.K. series ran for roughly like 365 issues or something like that. Over 300 issues, and Simon Furman wrote like 300 of those. So Simon Furman just in the 80s wrote like 200 issues worth of transformer stuff yes then he wrote the generation 2 sequel then he con- then he was a contributing writer to the beast wars tv show then he wrote 50 issues 50 ish issues of the um idw series so bob Udiansky basically created the entire universe and all the characters that play that play in it simon Furman is the most prolific uh writer in transformers history yeah. he has written I think, let me look it up. I think there's a statistic on the wiki. Hold on, Simon. Like percentage? Something like that. Uh, let's. Uh, he wrote most of the UK original comic series of Generation 1 as well as the latter one-third of the US comic run and has been the author of innumerable Transformers still. So, oh, I know what it was. So I remember if you go down to the, um, see also, 80% of the wiki. So... <laughs> On Simon Furman's on Simon Furman's Transformers wiki page, they have a see also thing where you can link to other things that yeah. that are partially related to Simon Furman. And one of the bullet points <laughs> is just eighty percent of the wiki, because eighty percent of this wiki is built from stuff that Simon Furman wrote. Gosh. And if I could go through this, actually, um, he wrote. The Marvel UK issues 13 through 21, 29 through 32, 45 through 50, 59 through 65, 74 through 88, 96 through 104, 113 to 120, 125, 130 to 138. You get the idea. Yeah, a ton of those. All the way up to issue 332, which was the last issue. He wrote issues 56 through 80 of the Marvel US. He wrote issues 1 through 12 of Generation 2. He wrote the sixth issue War Within miniseries. Volumes one, two, and and three, three. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So, volume one, which is six issues. Volume two, which was also six issues. Volume three, which was three issues, and then Dreamwave went bankrupt, so he didn't get to write the last couple issues of that. But they were unreleased. But he did write them. It looks like. Yeah. Uh, he wrote Armada. 
Yeah, he wrote about 12-ish issues of the Armada tie-in comic that Dreamwave did. He wrote 11 issues of the Energon comic they did. He wrote another nine issues of an Armada comic for a company called Panini. Then he wrote, this is IDW, which is where he goes crazy. You get... Infiltration, zero through six. If I can say, um, the way IDW did their runs... Is they instead of doing a maxi series, which is you know just a long running one, yeah. They just had Simon Furman write a series of mini series, and they're all each one's a sequel to the other. So it's oh, okay. So it's basically like um, kind of like how Fate is the Fate uh, series, sure, because all those are interconnected. Yeah, then it's more like an anthology. Except kind of. these aren't just interconnected; these are all directly leading out of each other. Okay. And the reason they did this because IDW is kind of frustrating. They're all about gimmicks to try and raise sales. There is okay. there is this idea, which is a little bit true in the comic book series, that it, putting issue number one on your comic book issue will bump sales because sure people see number one and they feel comfortable jumping in. Versus they see issue 27, they're like, oh man, I would, I'd be totally lost because so much has already happened. Sure. And then also you got collectors buying it for, to have the issue number one in case it ever gets super skyrockets. rare. Yeah, skyrockets of value. So he wrote Infiltration, six issues, Stormbringer, which is the... Actually, it'd be seven issues because it's zero through six. Issue zero is a pre, was just a preview. Oh, okay. What's well, not an actual thing. Six issues of Infiltration. Then he wrote Spotlight. Spotlight is actually... Um, one-shot issues and spotlights. They spotlight a character. Yeah. So you got Spotlight Shockwave, a, ser- a issue that's all about Shockwave. Okay. Spotlight Optimus Prime, solely about Optimus Prime. It's a character study thing. Okay. And so all of these... 1 through 6, 8, 9, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16 through 19 as well. Yeah. And uh, I guess he wrote one that never got released. Yeah. But so the spotlights, what's really cool about them is they are individual stories, but... Everything that came after them would reference stuff that happened in the spotlights. Okay. So everything he wrote connected to everything else. It was actually really impressive. It's something I really like about that. because It's I've, like the spider web, essentially. Essentially. Like, it, it, it is a spider web of stuff. Like, there's stuff... Like, I remember there, there was stuff like I would eat Devastation, and it would talk about things that happened to characters. I'm like, I don't remember that. And then I finally read the spotlights. I was like, oh, this is what he was talking about. It, it happened here. And it so, was really cool. So Stormbringer 1 through 4... Yeah. Uh, Escalation one through six, six. devastation one through six, revelation one through four, maximum Dinobots one through five. Then the gathering and ascending were comic series set in the Beast Wars universe. They were these were meant to tie into the Beast Wars TV series. Like he wrote these as if they're as if they're in canon with that, which I think is really cool. Yes, I've got a copy of the gathering. I could lend you if you want to get a taste of it. Maybe, but he wrote the gathering and ascending, and also he did work on Beast Wars for the last two episodes. So. There is an air of legitimacy to it because he was involved with the show. He wrote the comic book prequel to the Michael Bay movie. He wrote the comic book adaptation of the Michael Bay movie. He wrote one issue of All Hail Megatron, a couple of issues of Tales of the Fallen, six issues of Nefarious, which is a movie, another movie tie-in. It's a prequel to Dark of the Moon, the third one. He wrote a Rodimus versus Cyclonus thing. I remember that I have it. It's a tie-in comic which was packaged with toys of Rodimus and Cyclonus, which were being released at the time. Mm-hmm. It's a tie-in thing. He wrote Transformers Regeneration 1, which is another sequel to the original 80s thing, which I thought was really cool. Hey, Generation 1, number 80.5 through 100. Yeah, so 80. Point- I was like 80, and then it says 5 through... I thought it said it was like 5 through 100. Yeah, 80.5 through 100. I liked 
regeneration one a lot and this is the coolest one transformers 84 he wrote a prequel to the original 80s comics oh. and that was really cool i really liked that but so just we spent so much time on this and i bet so many people aren't interested but i'm super interested right. in this i could tell yeah you you want to go to bitcon a uh, botcon not but BitCon. this dude that's where they uh Go and mine each other's Bitcoin from each other. Yeah. This dude has... Um, Prime rib! <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, that's actually funny. So, I uh, do not read that yet. So... <laughs> so <laughs> it was just a funny thing. It said Prime's rib on it. It was just like... I, he caught my eye. I was like, Prime's rib! So, speaking of Anita Sarkeesian... Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, this series was written... Long, the Sarcastian. <laughs> this this series... What I'm about to show you was written long before Anita Sarkeesian was maybe even a glint in her mother's eye. I don't know how old she is, but I assume... She's 40s. So it's probably... She's old enough to know better, and she does it anyway. How old is she? I'm going to check it. I got it. You just go ahead okay. with whatever you're saying. But so, Simon Furman has this thing. You know how there are female Transformers, right? Yeah. RC. If you go to Beast Wars, there's Ares or Black Arachnia. There are a bunch of them. Simon Furman... 40. Okay. The one criticism, I guess, I have from Simon... Ew. The one criticism I guess I have for Simon Furman, and this is purely from a writing standpoint, is the man seems to have a really hard time wrapping his brain around simple concepts. He's a really good writer. Phenomenal writer. He's not a bad writer. But he has talked multiple times in interviews about how he doesn't like putting female Transformers in his series because it doesn't make sense to him that robots would have gender. He makes such a big yeah. deal. Well, here's the thing. like it's a robot. Well... I mean, it doesn't make sense that robots would have souls, but these robots have souls. Like, I'm fine with it, but he he always makes the point, like, he doesn't like putting RC in stories because he says he always feels like he has to justify it some way. Like, why does this female Transformer exist when they don't have gender? I'm like, dude, just let them have gender. Don't overthink it. He always overthinks it, and that's the one thing. I don't criticize him from a point, standpoint of, you need to put more women in. I'm like, I we need better representation. I don't, I don't care. It's just he gets so he just gets so turned around on it. Like, why, why would they have gender, though? And I'm like, don't worry about it. Just hey, let, Henry, Henry, let me help you here. Let me help you understand why this is happening. It's the autism. <laughs> okay, but, so here we go. Female Transformers, he's got an entire section. Oh, I didn't even notice there. that was the name of it. Yeah, so, Simon Furman has traditionally not been a fan of female Transformers or the idea of gendering Transformers at all, stand, stating on several occasions that he doesn't understand why robots would have women. Subsequently, he's attempted to explain it in Marvel UK, which inherited RC from the 86 film. She was sure. great for that. Uh, and at IDW. But both stories have been pretty awkward. Prime's Rib! Here's the funny part. I love this. Prime's Rib, for Marvel, which is the where he introduced R.C., uh, said she was built after a feminist mob had protested about the lack of female Cybertronians. So a bunch of... So a bunch of... So a bunch of feminist women came to Optimus Prime and called him a sexist for not having female robots. <laughs> it's amazing. Literally, this was written in the 80s. Simon Furman was ahead of was ahead of the curve. He wrote a story about people complaining about not having enough representation in Transformers 80 years before they started doing it. I mean not 80 years, 20 years in the 80s. This man's a genius. It's hilarious. And I, it's it's 
legit just a story of Optimus Prime being like, these women won't stop bugging me about not I'm having... tired of these women. <laughs> so I will create a female Transformer just But to... what I do like is this. It says his ins- uh, insistence that Cybertronians are genderless, not male by default, extends to a post he wrote in response to a blog by whoever. Marguerite Scott, she's another Transformers writer. So, this is discussing the next one, which is the second origin he gave RC was in IDW. Sure. What we were just talking about. Where he attempted to, um, while RC's origin 2005 con- continuity attempted to to apply a rational a rationale to the whole issue by saying that G-Axis, who was a mad scientist, Transformer, uh, had produced gender to the Cybertronians. So, the story is he kidnapped RC. RC was a normal genderless Cybertronian. The idea in IDW is they outright say, we're all genderless. No men, no women. We are robots. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> and G-Axis, a mad scientist, kidnapped RC and forcibly... And forcibly experimented on her and and turned her into a female Cybertronian. Sure. So he forcibly turned her into a female and that drove her insane and turned her into a crazy mass murderer. Okay. And so, yeah, forcibly changed her into a female gendered form, traumatizing her. And the Marguerite Scott post was her, was her saying that RC's origin in the IDW comics w- could be seen as offensive to women especially those who are transgender. The problem I have with that is the implication... Well, you have to have a gender first to be transgender. Well, aside from that, aside from that, the criticism I've seen people bring up... I also like that they use the word beef. Yeah. (laughs) To settle the... Settled the beef the cri- in this wiki. The criticism I have seen people try to apply to this is they say it's offensive because it makes it seem like transgender people are crazy or women are crazy. And they completely miss, because I've read this, and I, I I applaud Simon Furman for trying to come up with a different explanation for gender every time he writes it. He's just dedicated to the idea of gender can't exist by default. you got to explain it. I admire his dedication yeah. to that. But uh, and the, the thing is, I, I I'm relatively like understand what he's saying. Like in my mind, I've never seen Optimus as a man. It's just like Optimus is the hero robot. He's like the guy. Yeah. But I mean, he's not like the male. He's just the guy. But so what they say in criticism is this could make this implies that women are crazy because when RC is turned into a woman, it makes her crazy or can imply that transgender people are crazy because she's... It's like, you guys are ignoring the facts. You guys are ignoring the key detail that she was kidnapped and forced to go through this. It's called forced gender reassignment. Yeah, it's forced... By cattle decapitation. Yeah, it's... (laughs) You are welcome for that metal reference. She for... Her gender was forcibly reassigned against her will... This is not a transgender people are crazy thing. This is a rights issue. Yeah, this this is a her body autonomy was you want to talk about body autonomy? I'm not gonna get into an abortion debate. Her body autonomy was Please, let's get into an abortion debate. Was we can be viol- here all hours. Was violated in an actual way. Yeah. And that turned her insane. And people are like, oh, but it makes transgenders look crazy. No it! Okay. Reading comprehension. No, so here, so please. Here, here's the difference. One is a choice. 
The other is forced. Yeah. Which one are you seeing? Because I see she was kidnapped and a mad scientist by the name of Giaxis. Giaxis. Actually, that's funny. So that that name was given to Simon Furman came up with that name for the Generation Two comic in the eighties, the twelve issue one. Sure. And he it that Giaxis was the main villain of that okay. comic run, and he named him that. Because Hasbro had basically told him the numbers that the comic would have to hit to keep going. And they were astronomical. Like, higher than any other... Like, they, basically, the numbers they told him, you'll have to bring in this set, this amount of readers every month for us to keep you. And it was, like, higher than any than like anything any other book had ever made or something like that. And so he named the character G-Axus as a joke. Like, G, just get rid of us, why yeah. don't you? So yeah. if, if you're ever wondering how to pronounce it, just remember G-axis. G-axis. But so like, it, first of all, it is a like it's not a non-binary. It is a genderless. Yeah. There's no gender fluid. There's no gender. Yeah. If you start out and you have no gender, you just are a robot. Yeah. And they ended up. And then all of a sudden you're like, here, gender rolls. Yeah. And it's just like this robot's like. I'm RC. I am RC. I am RC. I yeah. am RC. And then G-Axis is just like female. Yeah. And and, uh, and robot is like does not compute. Does not compute. Oh yeah yeah. Woman. It's literally a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. And they ended up retconning it to. Um, Eventually, a different writer retconned it to gender actually did exist on Cybertron originally, but then all the female Transformers left. They was died. It was left. <laughs> it was left with all males, and so G-Axis was trying to reintroduce gender. Oh, and so, and so they retconned it to be RC actually is transgender because she did go from male to female, which, and then they said that the and oh, and they retconned it to she actually volunteered for the procedure. And the reason she went crazy and hated Giaxis is because he didn't stick around to help her adjust afterwards. So what a load of bullcrap. The the metaphor that they gave it was the equivalent of he gave her bad meds um, after the surgery, which I was like, I feel like that just muddies the waters from what it was before. Muddy waters. Uh, I'm a man! Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> and on that note, I really think this has been a beautiful episode. I love all the various different things that we talk oh, about. Back to Lord of the Rings real quick. Gosh, man. I I, I understand all the fear behind it. And I, I don't think I really would want to see a reboot of the Lord of the Rings movies either. But I'm going to pitch this to you. Elijah Wood comes back as a Frodo who's age is accurate to the books because in the books he's supposed to be in his 40s and in the movie he was in his like late he was 20s he was 18 oh really? elijah wood was 18 when he was in lord of the rings okay it's crazy to think about but bring elijah wood back as a book age accurate frodo well so no the thing is this hobbit ages were weird because they didn't reach adulthood until 33 yeah well so. i know well i think i think they still i think they still look their age they were just man children Exactly. So, Elijah Wood would still look right to play book age accurate Frodo. Either way, Elijah Wood comes back as Frodo. He would hate it. Henry Cavill as Aragorn. You mean Cavill? Henry Cavill as Aragorn. Cavill. 
and Charles Dance as Saruman. Who's Charles Dance? I can't. I can't play you. I'm gonna play you a clip of him. Off Just show screen. me Car- Charles Dance. No, I'm gonna show you a picture, but I'm gonna. I can't. I'm gonna show you like a scene he's in. Okay. After, because you won't understand fully. Oh, I know exactly who that is. Yeah. I know who he is. He plays um Tywin in Game of Thrones. Well, obviously he plays that. He plays in a couple other different shows, but yeah, I know exactly what you're thinking of. Dude, he is a great He is a Brit half and half actor. I'm trying to think there was a really good quote. <laughs> There's so many good Tywin quotes, but I can't none of them are coming to my mind right now. Charles Dance as Saruman, Henry Cavill as Aragorn, Chris Hemsworth as maybe Boromir or Aemir. Aemir. Aemir is the guy who threatens to cut Gimli's head off. Um, Carl Urban played him in the original Oh, movies. yes, yes. Aemir. The uh, Rohirrim. Yeah, the Rohirrim leader. And I think that was all I had at the moment. I'm just saying this. Dude's kind of lucky. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Oh, he's 6'3"? I didn't realize he was that tall. He's not married. So whoever he's with right now is like some woman who's just like... Go back Ooh. up. Go back up. Uh, Partners. Alessandra Alma Masi. Oh, dude. Did you hear... um? So back to Pedro and uh, oh, no. for a minute. What's really funny is Pedro Pascal, I believe, is forty-eight years old, yes. forty-seven, somewhere like that. Bella Ramsey, Ellie's actress, is um, nineteen. Sure. And I saw something recently. Oh no! People were comparing um, them to Leonardo DiCaprio and his new girlfriend. Uh, because Leonardo DiCaprio is 48, and he just started dating a 19-year-old model. And I saw people on Twitter saying, I feel really bad for Pedro Pascal and Be- Bella Ramsey, because they're out there just trying to be a wholesome father-daughter dynamic, and the internet's using them using them as, using them as uh, to help explain why Leon- Leonardo DiCaprio needs to stop being a creep. Yeah. But it is, it is funny how that lined up, where you have two people with the exact same age gap. One, one, one group of people is playing a father and daughter, and the other group is having sex. <sighs> and on that note, I truly believe this episode's been great, and I feel like this is a really good stopping point. Yeah. So, with that being said, uh, thank you for tuning into this episode. We are Yeah! We are going to be cutting this up, so you're going to get multiple episodes out of this. Yeah, and just like last time, we are recording this outro explaining that we're cutting it into two episodes twice, and we nailed it each time. Amen, yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. But, I thought it was three times. Dude, you remember, it's like this some sort of like 4D chess thing or whatever. Dude, I, I, don't, I don't even know if you can... Uh, 3D chess? That, I don't know. Whatever it is, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so anyway, do you have any closing words to make it feel like an actual uh, send-off? May all your babies be born naked. No, not that. Something better, please. That's what my grandpa used to tell me all the time. He's like, <laughs> he would be like, 
Well, may all your babies be born naked. And you just think about it there for a second. It's like, well, I hope they are, because if they're born clothes, there's a problem yeah, here. Just, there's a glitch in the matrix. Just uh, do do an outro, please. Oh, uh, thank you all for coming in to this episode. Uh, yeah! I appreciate it. Yeah! Hold on. I need to do it from back here. Thank you all for coming into this episode. Yeah! <laughs> we appreciate everything you've done for us. Woo! And may you come back next week for another fine episode. Yeah! Yeah! This has been the Toilet Paper Hoarders. I'm a man! <laughs> <laughs>